The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The collision of common sense and comedy. the collision of common sense and comedy. This is the Morning Blaze. Ladies and gentlemen, you have one more day of uh, the Jason Butchell Power 3 Hour, Power Tray Hour. And today is Wednesday. Wednesday, which means, but I, actually I'm doing a little cross show uh, I guess uh, shared content. I filled in for Pat uh, a little while ago, and I did this thing that I just kind of dubbed Big Concept Wednesdays. And I'm carrying it through, carrying it through for the morning blaze. And uh, just to uh, I get to, just to kind of let you guys in, if you didn't know, I think I've already explained this maybe with Chris, maybe a couple times, maybe four or five. But um, Big Concept Wednesdays kind of goes off of this uh, this concept that I had, and it was just really it was kind of like this meta like conversation on radio in general. Like, uh, I know that you guys are, like, ridiculously smart. You're different from uh, other audiences. You're, uh, you're, you're more informed. Uh, you uh, can, can laugh uh, at our—we can laugh at ourselves, but we, we also, like, we don't, we don't want to hear people drone on and on and on about the news. Like, we want to hear about what's going on in the news, but, like, we don't just want to, like, harp on it with, like, knowing, like, what the heck does this mean? Like, what, is, what, all, what does all this stuff mean? And uh, just to really—just to recap this really quickly— I was reading a, or I was listening to a read, reading. I was listening to a podcast um, from Jordan Peterson, and uh, Doctor Peterson was talking about like this like phenomenon of podcasts, and podcasts are taking over. And, like it's just a lot of like just a lot of t- a lot of uh, new technology nowadays that are just going to replace a lot of the things that we do now. But but podcasts are taking over, and the reason people are like it was it was it was fascinating to people that were like that were uh, listening to podcasts and people that are analyzing it, and they're like, how in the heck? Are people listening to people like, let's say, like Joe Rogan for like three hours, like three hours, they'll listen to this guy. And they're like, how the heck are people just like nonstop? Like, and there's like no break. There's like, if you listen to him, he like, he front loads a bunch of like stuff that you don't want to hear. <laughs> a bunch of stuff, a bunch of self-promotion and stuff. And I'm in the front end. And then after the, after the first 10 minutes, you finally get to the content. But the content is like really in depth. Unless he's talking to like a UFC person or something like that, breaking down a last, you know last night's fight. The con- the stuff is really in depth. And uh, Dr. Peterson on his podcast was saying, "Look, people are they're 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 way smarter than they were. Like I don't know, like let's say ten years ago. Like think about it. Like ten years ago. Like how how much did you read ten years ago? I mean, you read nonstop today. Well, on your cell phone, on your computer, you're reading nonstop." So the news is constantly in your feed. You're constantly getting that thrown at you, but you're also constantly getting like you know some pretty in-depth stuff. Like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? So you are you are way more read today than you were ten years ago, and so that's basically uh, you know how I kind of got to Big Concept Wednesdays. So I'm gonna like talk about and I'm gonna try and get through this in the first hour. We've got an insane amount of content for you today, guys. Insane. We've got, uh, do you guys know the uh, story, if you don't know the story of this, uh, this uh, abortion doctor, Gosnell, we have uh, the writer of the Gosnell book, that's coming up, Chris, is that in hour three? 
uh, hour two. So you do not want to miss that. If you don't know this story, oh my gosh, put a seatbelt on, or maybe if you're driving, get off on the side of the road. Because when you hear the story, it's insane. It's about one of the, uh, I think maybe one of America's, or is it the uh, most prolific serial killer in the United States that no one has heard about, and the media would not touch this story. Um, we've also got, oh, I can't remember, who, who's in hour three? Uh, Aaron, Aaron, we have Eric McTaxis, that's right. That's going to be a hilarious interview. Um, he's going to be talking about his book, Donald Drains the Swamp. It looks like a cartoon, it almost looks like a... Uh, uh, Flintstones cartoon on the front. <laughs> it looks dope. Uh, and then an hour one is I like r- pushed Chris to, to find this one guest for me that kind of goes along with, not kind of, but it exactly goes along with what I'm doing uh, today on this Big Concept Wednesday. And I don't want to spoil, I don't want to spoil that yet. So I'll let you guys know. So he'll be, he'll be coming up uh, in just about uh, 20 minutes or so. So to kick this off, have you guys seen that... Um, have you guys seen the, uh, like, I guess it's a, it's not really a sequel. It's kind of a sequel. It's the continuation of the Karate Kid story. It's called Cobra Kai. Have you seen that, Chris? Oh, my gosh. You haven't seen it either? Cobra Kai. Okay. Tonight, guys, watch Cobra Kai. Go to YouTube. I think you, I don't, I don't know if you have to have a premium membership for this thing or not, or if you can just watch them all uh, just, like, for free now. But basically, it, like, it kind of pretends like all the sequels didn't happen. And it says, like, what would have happened if, uh, you know, the main character, Johnny, uh, grew up and then uh, Daniel grew up and like what kind of people would they be and it's hilarious if you if you like YouTube a bunch of like these like fan theories of uh, the Karate Kid a lot of them say there was like this theory that Daniel was actually the bad guy and Dan- uh, and uh, uh, and Johnny was the good guy and basically he just kind of got screwed you know like hey th- if you think about it too like the new guy comes into school you know he's like hitting on old boy's girl takes old boy's girl and he's what he's just supposed to like that and then like you know like why was he like and then who's this like weird sensei you know that's like ordering this kid around is he like actually controlling this kid so it's funny it was it was it was a funny like it was a funny like alternate like story to the uh to to the uh to the karate kid so but the but the it, you can kind of tell that the creators of cobra kai kind of took that fan theory and they developed it so that's kind of what it's about you like actually you get it kind of from the perspective of of of, uh, of the bad guy johnny and uh, but anyway, it was funny. I was I was I was watching I was watching some more of that like uh, maybe two days ago, and I was like, you know what? Conservatives today, they need a Mister Miyagi. Now now before now before you're like I, I'm you might sound confusing, but I remember watching Karate Kid when I was a kid, and I was like I was like man, it's like like Mister Miyagi guy. You know what I mean? He's like he's so like. He, he's so uh, wise. He knows everything. You know, he's like helping this uh, helping this kid along. He's got an answer for everything. You know, it's 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 evident that he's like kind of been through the mud. He's been through everything, and and now he not only you know is he like you know a bad A in karate, but he also like knows everything about life. And basically, anything you get from Mister Miyagi is probably going to be pretty much uh, is you can take it to the bank. Well, <clears throat> I want to start like. I want to start today. Let's transition from Mr. Miyagi. And I want to start today's show by by reading you a quote. Now, now while I'm reading this, try and see if you can guess who said it. Now, some of you guys are going to think you've nailed it right from the start. But here it goes. So, quote, I thought government could solve all our post-war problems just as it ended the Depression and won the war. I didn't trust big business. Thought government, not private companies, should own our public utilities. 
If there wasn't enough housing to shelter the American people, I thought government should build it. If we needed better medical care, the answer was socialized medicine. All right. So think about that. Now, so I'm going to circle back to that later. But think about that right now. Like, who do you think actually said that? It literally, it could sound like, if you go back in time, it could sound like, I don't know, FDR. It could sound like Woodrow Wilson. Uh, it could sound like Bernie Sanders. It could sound like, I don't know, Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, you know, it could sound like a lot of people. But just uh, get that in your mind, and uh, I'll actually read that later so we can kind of circle back to it. So let's talk about the situation with America's youth today. Um, a recent uh, a Harvard University poll uh, was taken back in December 2017 found that among likely American voters, and these are ages 18 to 29, 65% supported Democratic control of Congress. 65%, 18 to 29. So that's our youth, our voting age youth. They support Democratic control of Congress. Polls consistently show greater warmth for socialism among millennials. Socialism among millennials. Like, they're, they're all about it. A recent YouGov poll found that only 39% of young adults favor capitalism over socialism. Ah! Are you kidding me? 30, 39% of young adults favor capitalism over socialism. So in other words, the majority of kids that can vote want socialism. Now, if you like really break that poll down, you can go a whole lot deeper. And they got it from like all the different like age brackets. So it's pretty obvious like anybody that was old enough to remember some of these countries that lived under uh, socialism, communism, like they hate they hate those. They hate socialism, and capitalism or I'm sorry, socialism and communism. Like capitalism all the way, but they actually have a direct tie to it or their families lived under it or they, uh, you know, they ran away from it or they fought it. Now, the young, the youth, they don't know. They, 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 they've never had any kind of real tie. So when all these like new up and coming politicians today, like your Ocasio-Cortez or is that bad, Chris, if I say it that way? Um, or, you know, uh, or your Bernie Sanders or, you know, or anybody else that, you know, is good looking or hot, you know, uh, coming up and like, Hey, yeah, you know, they just care about us. That's it. You know, it's, it's, it's compassionate, you know, it's, it's tolerant. That's, that's always the, you know, the catchwords they use compassion, tolerance, all that stuff. Socialism, even though it's killed millions and millions of people all over the world, but somehow now it's tolerant. But anyway, they don't have a historical like tie to that. So they're hearing this stuff from their universities, from their sociology professors. So of course it must be true, right? I mean, it's got to be true. You know what, guys? What the hell is going on? This is the world. Okay, check this out. This is, so let, maybe let's try to explain this a little bit. I want to try and rationalize why this is happening. So this is the world that young America is growing up in. So 18 to 29-year-olds are living in a world where student debt is approaching catastrophic levels. I'd say what? I I just paid off my student loans like a year and a half ago. You're having guys, I'm 40 years old. 40 freaking years old. Absolutely ridiculous. And I was one of the worst people offenders of the student loan crap. I like like so okay, so in full disclosure, I went to a college uh, where my mom was on uh, was on staff. 
So I got like a bit. I went to a, it was a private university, but I got I got a, I got a, a discount. So uh, I didn't really need financial aid. I needed like a tiny little like what you like the Pell Grant or whatever that you get that you don't even have to pay back. I needed that, and that took care of my with my with my family discount, and that took care of it. Oh, but you know, of course, it didn't take care of my apartment. It didn't take care of what, what's a what's a college student to do if you like you want to take your girlfriend out. You know what I mean? And you just got this Pell Grant, you know what I mean? That's like t- taking care of your school. Like, I mean, I want to take her to the movies and like, but I also want to like go to the bar and stuff. Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, a student loan, Shaw, you get the student loan and that pays for everything. But also like you can go to Ikea and get like a dope set up and, uh, you know, like you're rolling in it. Well, I did that every single semester going through college for four years. And uh, by the end of it, I had sheesh. I had like I don't know like sixty thousand in in uh, student debt of like dates and bar nights <laughs> and like and brand new furniture, but I had a dope setup. I, I got I got to admit in, in in my college dorm at, uh, or in my apartment that I, at least I had that going for me. But that's what that's what that's what a lot of kids are are that's what they're facing now with their, with their college loans. But now like but the, one of the differences is like I actually paid mine off. It took me a while, but I paid mine off. They just don't want to pay it off. Uh, moving on, education department numbers show that at more than one thousand schools, at least of half of students defaulted or failed to pay down debt within seven years. So at least half of them. That's ridiculous. Debt collectors are calling health insurance is unaffordable, thanks Obama, and home prices are increasing twice as fast as income growth. So despite the fact that capitalism was responsible for lifting a billion people out of extreme poverty in the past 20 years, it's now become the scapegoat. And the new wave of out-of-the-closet socialists, where they were, they weren't were hiding, but now they're fully out of the closet, these out-of-the-closet socialists are now appealing to young people and looking for answers. Now, let's take a quick pause. Let's come back to that in a second. And let's figure out what the heck we need and how we move forward and how we change this trend. That's coming up next. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So we're picking back up. Uh, what the heck is going on with our youth? Like, what? what uh, seriously, what's going on? Well, they're what, for one, they're listening to people that are very, very passionate about what they believe in. So they, they obviously believe in the fundamental transformation of the United States. They uh, believe in socialism. Um, and they're people like Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, um, and the newcomer, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They're all singing the songs of socialism as the answer to their economic hardships. But here's what none of them want you to know, all right? All of the politicians now preaching socialism. None of their stories would have been possible without capitalism. They just wouldn't have. None of their stories. They're all great success stories, but they're stories that would have been impossible under the system they're now trying to sell. Think about it. Would Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren... Would they be able to do what they're doing now? Would they have the wealth that they have now? Would they have the political clout that they have now? Own the businesses that they own now? Well, well, Bernie Sanders has never actually worked a day in his life except for government. But, but I digress. But anyway, they would. But he's but he's a but he's a rich sucker though. You know, homeboy is an OG. He's got like multiple houses. You know, he he's an OG. 
Um, but would he be able to accrue, accrue that wealth in Venezuela? Would he be able to accrue that wealth in North Korea? I mean, because that is the system that they want. These are the people that are under are endorsed by Democratic Socialists of America DSA. DSA wants to, and they've said this, they want to destroy capitalism. That's what they want to do. This is the system that they want to destroy, which has brought them up to where they are today. But they want to destroy it. So all these people are living, breathing examples of what's possible in a capitalist society. But, but rather than highlighting that fact, they're demonizing the system that gave them success. Now, we know that they're not all stupid. So the only reason that they don't point out this fact is, is very obvious. They're trying to con you. It's all a con. Now, when I say you, I know it's not you. Like, the people listening to this right now. Like, you're not conable by these people. Uh, you're obviously a lot smarter and more informed than they are. But you as in the country. Like, all of us. So, it's all a con. It's a populist lie. That's all this is. But here's the truth, okay? People like Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Elizabeth Warren, they all have one thing in common. They may not publicly give any love to capitalism, but capitalism definitely has got given some loving on them. And I've got a sneaky suspicion that the feeling, privately, not publicly, because they'll never say this publicly, is, is probably mutual. So, but what about the few remaining young Republicans out there? Like, how do they feel? So let, let's, let's get away from, like, we know, like, we know the youth that's kind of, like, trending towards the left. They're all about the socialism nowadays. But I'm, I'm kind of curious about, like, Republicans. So if there's a Mr. Miyagi to the, uh, the, the youth that's trending left, I would say it's probably a Bernie Sanders, you know, with, like, you know, I guess if Mr. Miyagi had a dojo and he had, like, his little lieutenants, they would be Ocasio-Cortez, people like Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, people like that. But who is the Mr. Miyagi for, for conservatives? So... What do these young Republicans think? Like, how do they feel? What keeps them up at night? Well, check this out. So I did some digging around last night thinking about this, and I found that this is incredible. So 82% of Republican and Republican-leaning voters between the ages of 18 and 24, so this is our youth, this is our, this is our future, they say they want another Republican to cha- uh, challenge President Trump for the party's nomination in 2020. That's incredible. So... And, and that's also 57% of those that are aged 25 to 34. So the majority of young voters want another Republican to step in. Now, this is kind of crazy because older Republicans, like a lot of older Republicans, like I've, I fit into older Republicans. Uh, a lot of you may fit into older Republicans. Uh, a lot of older Republicans just can't figure that out. They're like, what are you talking about, whippersnapper? You're like, am I dear? You know, it was a lot worse than it is now, and it's better. Um, but <laughs> that's but so the older Republicans are like, "What are you talking about?" But I mean, after all, I mean, let's let's face it. Like Trump is the president who cut regulations. You know, he's done it on a massive scale. Um, he's passed tax cuts. He's ended the individual mandate. These are all things that we were like screaming for the president to, to do if a Republican GOP candidate, you know, beat Hillary. He's done it. So the man, he, he's the man that moved the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, something that I was very, very passionate about. He did it. You know, he, he also doesn't shy away when, you know, people like Hillary Clinton say things like this. 
You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again. But until then, the only thing that the Republicans seem to recognize and respect is strength. Oh, my God. This, is, this was yesterday. Did, Chris, did you see this yesterday? This is insane. So this is why you lost the election, because you tone-deaf piece of crap. You just called for ending civility in a time where there is no civility because of what your party has done. The reason it's bad now is because of what you've done over the past nine to ten years. She basically just legitimized the violent behavior of Antifa. They're not civil. She did. That's the problem. That's one of the biggest things. Like, <clears throat> if if there is a a far right radical group that tries to like jump on board and hitch a ride <clears throat> with the uh, conservative movement <clears throat> or a candidate, we're very quick to denounce them. Or if we're not quick to denounce them, we get hit and then we denounce them. But still, you cannot let people co opt onto your movement. You cannot let, let's say, uh, racists. On either side, you can't let them co-opt your, your movement. Antifa, yeah, I call the, I consider them racist. Uh, I consider them a lot of things. Uh, civil is not one of them. For stalking senators, she legitimized people getting stalked in restaurants. Ted Cruz and his wife. Uh, she legitimized yelling at se- uh, senators as they're going into elevators. All these things. For wrongfully accusing a man of rape. All in the name of dirty politics. I mean, th- this is why we voted for Donald Trump. You know, someone has to have the balls to stand up to this crap. You know, America wanted a pit bull. We didn't want a poodle. You know, we- we've had that. We were sick of that. We didn't, want the- we didn't want to send in, you know, like Mr. Burns said, send in the hounds, but we didn't want the hounds to be chihuahuas. We want the hounds to be pit bulls or Dobermans. So we voted for one and we got one. We were freaking sick of it. So that's older Republicans. You know, we, we, we had been down this road before. We'd been there, done that. We did something about it. But, big but, back to the whippersnappers. This isn't cutting it for young conservatives. It's not. Like, they're hungry for something. You know, they're Daniel LaRusso. You know, like, hey, how do I... Daniel LaRusso's like, hey, I'm getting my butt kicked, Mr. Miyagi. What do I do? You know, it's like this... this uh this little tree that you have me like decorating is cool and all, but I'm getting my butt kicked. Why don't you, uh, you know, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you tell me how I could, you know, I can do something about this. They're hungry for something. W- what are they hungry for? I mean, because if you have what, let's let's read those statistics off again. Eighty-two percent of Republicans and Republican-leaning voters, they don't want Donald Trump. They, I mean, I guarantee you, like, maybe like a lot of us, they uh, they probably don't have any, any issues with his policies. I've got no issues with uh, Donald Trump's policies. And, you know, really, is there anybody else? I mean, can you think about it? Like, can you think about it? Is, with what's going on today, any other leader, GOP, would they be able to orchestrate, you know, this, I don't know, or just just any kind of stand against what's going on right now. But I'm going to continue through this. I'm going to we're going to take a break here in a second. 
I'm going to come back right after that with a guest. Now, this guest, I'm going to tell his story, and then I'm going to kind of allude to why I think his story is so important here. But it all weaves into when we wrap this up. Hopefully, I can wrap this up by the top of the hour. But it's all going to make sense. Trust me. That's coming up. A guest coming back. You do not want to miss this. Coming back in uh, 30, 60 seconds. See you then. This is The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Morning Blaze. I am Jason Buttrell. Finally got Chris Cruz sitting next to me. Yeah, that was good. Wouldn't sit next to me. Oh, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't stopping. It's, it's still going. I, it's, it's my opinion is when you're doing a monologue like this, you don't need distractions. And I could be very distracted. <laughs> Even though I was sitting right across from you between it, but a window was enough for me not to distract you. It's a good distraction, though. Like, I, I don't want to compare you to like Kate Upton, but like if Kate Upton walks by... You're like, that's well, a good I'll distraction. That. I'll take that. I'll <laughs> absolutely take that. The number to call in, guys, if you want to, 888-900-3393. Uh, also, uh, if you want to hit us up on social media, you, all you guys know, uh, Chris is social at Real Chris Cruz. I am at Jason Butchel. Uh, tweet into us and let us know what you think. Uh, if at any time you disagree or if any time you even think that you've got something you want to add to the conversation, please either call in or tweet in. Jim uh, brings up a good point, and and I kind of agree with him. He goes uh, because uh, that recent poll that you talked about from you government that says thirty nine percent of young adults favor capitalism over socialism. Yep. Um, goes he says that's not surprising. Kids live via socialism for the first eighteen years of their life. Yeah. The parents work, and their money gets distributed. To them, it's true. to just lay around and sleep all day. It seems perfectly normal to them. It's true. It's absolutely true. That just blew. Boop. It's absolutely true. My mind right there. Yeah. And then, and then especially when, when parents coddle their kids. Yes. They continue even past the 18 years. When did you start working? Like what, what age did you start working? Like my, it was my freshman year of college. Okay. So I got, yeah, like again, I was like trying to like fund this like party thing and like. You know, like I had student loans, parties. But, but yeah, but <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but like, uh, but if you wanted to take the extra trip to Vegas, you yeah. say, yeah. So I got like a little job there. Oh, but okay. It was no, nothing. I started working. I believe it was 14. Yeah, that's Dang. when I started working. My parents were like, "Go doing what?" Uh first I was a salad boy, so I was just you know putting salads on bowls and you know tossing the salad and stuff like that. See, my kids aren't even uh, even attempting to think about work. Really? My daughter's about to turn 16. That, that uh, was actually the first thing I thought about. Like, oh, I'm sorry. That I did get a job when I was 16. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It was kind of the same thing, like a busboy. Yeah. But, and again, it was just so I could like buy clothes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and then that's what I think. My parents were like, yeah, um, there's no such chance allowance, but hey, guess what? There's a job you could get <laughs> j-o-b <laughs> uh, yeah so. i and i still i i still really wasn't even thinking about you know like self-reliance self-reliance self-responsibility like a lot of these principles which we'll get to uh, later 
um, you know, are, they're either taught to you or they're learned to you the hard way. Yeah. And um, one of the ways that I, my like, my, I guess, not conversion, because my family was always a conservative household, but it's really not, it's, it's almost like religion. It never really becomes real until you really figure it out for yourself. Until you have a personal like, you know, experience or you, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're tempered in the fire and you, you know, figure it out for yourself. And I, a big part of that was uh, when I went into the military oh. after college. Oh, man. The Same military. for you, I bet. Yeah. Right? The military will shape you up like. Totally. You're ready. Like they want, you know, <laughs> killing machines when you're done, but it will shape you up. And it's fascinating. And I also see, I don't want, I'm, I I could be wrong on this, but I also see the military as a little um, socialist, little Ethiopia, because <laughs> they take care of you from the start to end. You know, they, they get you housing. Hey, here's some per diem for you to buy some groceries. Hey, here's a paycheck. If you stay on base, here's some free electricity. Here's some free water. Right, but it's not free. I mean, you're they're telling you what to do every hour of every day. You're True. working for it. True. But it, it, one of the <clears throat> biggest things I saw, especially with the young airmen, and you probably saw this with the young Marines, uh, was especially when I became a supervisor. They're like, I'll party. Yeah! Whoa, hold on there, buddy. <laughs> Slow down, you know. Do not spend your entire E1 paycheck on the next Brad Kavanaugh party, you know. You, you don't want to do that. Those E1 paychecks are not, oh, not too large. They're, they're not. <laughs> you know, you get them basically like, what, like about 800 bucks after taxes? That's about, yeah. That's if about you right. deploy, you know, you get that full tax break. So you're banking, I don't know, 1100 Yeah. The, that E1 paycheck does not go that far. Veterans go through, uh, well, okay, so... You know, mili- when I was uh, transitioning out, when I was about thinking about transitioning out of the military, I was uh, I had just gotten married. I had mm. a baby on the way Ooh. and I was crazy worried. I, w- I had so much stress, Chris. I like I had to find a job that kind of I hadn't even thought like my my college uh, studies were like a, a long lost memory, it seemed like. Um, the things I learned in the military, a lot of it didn't really translate to yeah. what, any job that was available and at the that's time. That's one of the biggest problems, too. <clears throat> Did, when you got out, was it a voluntary getting out, or were you like medically discharged? Well, I, I guess it, it technically considered voluntary, but it was involuntary because the wife was telling me you better get out or else. Okay. See, mine was a little <laughs> different. Mine was like, because I even re-signed up I, you know, I, for another four years. And then when they did the eval, because I was a canine handler, they did the eval. They're like, ooh, buddy, you're too broken. That's at that point I had two ankle surgeries. Oh, wow. I was going through PTSD treatment. And they're like, oh, we love you. You know, thank you for this. But you have to go. You have until the end of the year in 2014. So December kicked in. I'm like, I got no job. Wow. So it's I can't. It, it's hard to put into to words the stress that you feel. Oh yeah. When you're when you're when you're looking to get out, especially if you have a family, and so in veterans uh, veterans affairs, veter, veterans uh, issues are very very. I'm very very passionate about it because I lived it, and I know you know healthcare in in the in the in the uh, in the military sucks. Like everyone is scared to go to a veterans hospital. Oh. Because there's everyone's everybody in every platoon or, or or battalion or whatever has got this story of how they got screwed in a veterans hospital. Or you go in and you never come out. It, right. Right. <laughs> and then and then you have to think about like where do I how am I gonna provide for my family when I get out? And then like where are we gonna live? I've lived on base in the barracks. Yeah. Or like you said, they provided me a base allowance for housing. And I've uh you know, if I lived off off the of uh, the base and yeah, I'd, all these decisions have been really made for me. Well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in uh, my first guest today, 
And and this again fits into the overall meta uh, topic that we're ta- that we're doing today is we need to teach ourselves self reliance. We need to say, hey, if there's something that irritates us or irks us in the government or in our society, we need to not complain about it. We not need, don't need to ask somebody to step in, like a government official or something like that, and say, hey, do something. Why aren't you doing something about this? No, that, that's not the American way. Screw that. And if I wasn't on air right now, I'd say that another way. But I'm <laughs> saying this way now. Screw that. We're not going to wait for anybody to come in and rescue us. Yeah. We do this ourselves. My first guest today is Chris Stout. He is the founder of VeteransCommunityProject.org. Veterans Community Project is dedicated to supporting every man and woman who took the oath for our country. We are determined to, this is them speaking, they are determined to make a difference in the lives of homeless veterans, a task accomplished by the community for the community. For homeless veterans, if I didn't have you at Homeless Veterans and providing support for them, you might want to turn off your radio right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And if you guys don't remember, we had a Chris about, uh, wow. January of this year, and he served in the military. He was injured in Afghanistan, and since then, he's made his life mission to serve and improve the quality life for veterans. Amazing. Mr. Chris Stout, thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you guys so much for having me again. I appreciate it. You bet, man. I It was funny. I, uh, I, I made Chris scramble yesterday, so I really appreciate you getting on with us so early. Um, where are you at? What time is it over there? So it's uh it's about five thirty. Uh, I actually, when you guys sent me a note, I was in Denver, uh, and then I'm back in Kansas City today. So, oh my gosh, well we really really appreciate it. I was like, so I'm doing this thing today, and I was like, I really want to uh, to have somebody on that like kind of really embodied what I'm talking about today. And I heard your story, and I was so moved. And I just really quick, like before we get into uh, what Veterans Community Project does, can you just tell me a little bit about your background and like why you decided to make this like one of your torchbearing uh, issues? Yeah, you know, I mean, you guys said a, a bit of it. I served in the military. Um, I got out, but I think the the basis of it is is you know I really struggled when I got out. You know, I bounced from job to job to job. Yep. And then finally, I I landed at a job uh, where I worked with vets, and I think that was the synopsis of it. I felt like I really thrived where um, I was able to connect with guys, and then you know through that. I saw just these gaps in services where guys are just falling through the cracks and uh, they couldn't get the help or they were just kind of passed from person to person to person via the telephone and uh, they were struggling. And it was at that point I realized, you know, no wonder, you know, we have 20 or 22 vets a day, you know, choosing to go that route or, you know, they're living on the street or they're, you know, not saying, hey, I want help or I need help. And, uh, you know, I just kind of felt like if vets said, let's help each other, you know, we could do it better. And so that's, that's how I got to where I'm at today. Outstanding. So, so what, so real briefly, so veterans community project. So you guys go and build houses for homeless veterans. Yeah. I think that's what we're known for is the, the tiny houses, you know, we, uh, the 240 square foot, uh, little homes. I mean, a lot like the barracks that we lived in, they have like a little kitchenette and bathroom and a bed. Um, you know, I, I always joke, you know, I, I try to build them nice enough to where when my wife kicks me out, I have somewhere I could go, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, housing with dignity, right. Just, a a, a place and a, a, a home that these guys can't say no to, um, you know, a better version of a shelter, if you will. Um, but, you know, we also provide wraparound services. You know, the idea is to kind of address everything that got them to where they needed the tiny home. 
Why did you why why did you settle on uh you know looking directly at the homeless and like like, like why why not like uh, you know uh, there's a lot of good uh uh like 22 kill like kind of uh you mentioned that like uh why did you tend to go towards instead of like maybe suicide or like uh you know any other veterans issues why did you hone in on homelessness? Well, I think the the original piece was we wanted to create a place that was designed to say yes first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of places are kind of created to weed out different categories of veterans. All right. You served in this area. Uh, you served for this time period or, uh, for this many days, um, you know, post nine 11, that, that type of thing, honorably discharged, dishonorable discharge, that type of thing. And we're like, you know what? Oh, you served. We're going to serve you. That was what we wanted to do first. Right. Yeah. We say yes. And then, uh, Oh, we're going to house you because we realized that that's step one. And then we figured that that will solve the, the, the whole 22 thing. Right. Mm. We like, we figure it's a step-by-step process. You know, I think all that stuff is a trauma based thing, yeah. right? The homeless, the, the, the PTSD, the, the wanting to, um, you know, the suicidal ideation thing, all that stuff. But if we can just be warm and welcoming and create this place that, vets want to go and hang out, then, you know, that's step one. Step two, create a place where they can get the services that they need, whether it's housing, whether it's uh, free transportation, food, you, you know, emergency financial assistance, you name it, we're that place. So, Chris, how, Chris, how long have you been doing this? How, how old is uh, your uh, organization? So we're just a little over three years old right now. So in that three years, are do you see a, a how are things getting as far as uh, do you see uh, veterans issues worse now than they were three years ago, or is it improving, staying the same? Well, I think overall, if you look at the big system, I think uh, whenever you address it as a whole, I think the community says, "Oh, that's a that's a it's a government problem," you know. Whenever they should be seeing it as a community problem, yes. I think if we looked at it differently. Um, it, it, I hope that makes sense. You know, it, totally. If you look at it as a government problem, then yeah, it's getting a lot worse. Mm. If you look at it as a community problem, then it could be getting a lot better. You know, if we address everybody, I mean, these are community people. You know, they're going out and serving us. You know, big picture wise, but they're coming back to our communities, and I think that's where the big disconnect is, and that's why it seems like it's getting so much worse. You know. And they're getting forgotten about. They're getting kind of neglected, and I think that's ultimately the disconnect. You know, it is a it is problematic. You know, um, in my limited experience in and and doing uh, service projects, I, I you know, there's always this one story that always sticks out in your mind, like that really gets you. Do you have one of those stories? Is there one story where you help someone and you're like, wow, that's this is the reason why I'm doing this? So for us. You know, when we got into doing what we do and, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why do you guys serve? You know, we serve a large umbrella. You know, we serve anybody that's ever taken an oath. And that's regardless of their discharge status, you know, time and service. And so we get, you know, there's a lot of explaining that goes along with that, you know, and that's it's irrelevant whether it's National Guard or Reserve, right? Yeah. But for us, that one story is, is, you know, we were serving, you know, a, a 12-year veteran. And, uh, you know, he had three deployments under his belt. He had two Purple Hearts. And 
he had a dishonorable discharge because he had multiple DUIs. Mm. But for us, you know, we're like, our impression or our understanding was, you know, he had 12 years of honorable service and he was discharged because he was self-medicating for post-traumatic stress. You know, if, let's just get real with what was going on. Oh, man. You know, he was discharged during a, a, a time where more than likely most commanders were just putting people out because they needed people in and you need people to deploy. And he just wasn't getting the help that he needed. You know, we were able to kind of bring him in and get his discharge status upgraded to where he was able to get all the benefits he needed. Wow. And that that's why we serve the people that we serve, because we recognize that not everybody, you know, walking around with that discharge status that they have, has it for the right reason. That's devastating. I hope that makes sense. That is de- oh, totally. And that, that's devastating. I mean, if you're a veteran, especially like a lot of times when your skills don't translate, you know, like, okay, so you can shoot a 50 cal machine gun, you know, on the back of a Humvee. That doesn't really help you get a job in the outside world. But like one thing you do have is that honorable you know, discharge status. And if you don't have that, then you're in even worse shape than you were without having any kind of skills that translate over into the private sector. So oh, that's, that is just devastating. Chris, hey, um, so if, if I'm a veteran and I'm, I'm having a hard time, I need to get in touch with you. Or if I'm someone listening to this radio broadcast right now and I'm like, you know, heck yeah, I want to donate and help this project. How do I find you? veteranscommunityproject.org. I mean, that's always the best place to, to, to hit us up. All of our information's there. Um, you know, and, and we're expanding, uh, Denver, St. Louis, Nashville. So we're, we're, we're growing very rapidly. And I think the last time uh, we spoke, you know, we hadn't kind of gotten to all those cities, but, uh, you know, we should have houses on the ground this time, uh, next year in Denver. So we're, we're moving very, very fast. So, yeah, come see us. Outstanding, brother. We really appreciate you coming on so early. And, uh, man, I'm, like, shooting some prayers out for you and a lot of love and support. Uh, you're doing some amazing work. Thanks so much for coming on with us, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet, Chris. That's Chris Stout, hey. veteranscommunityproject.org. You are with The Morning Blaze. Again, call in if you want to yell at me or just agree with me. More like if you want to agree with me, 888-900-3393. I'll be back in just a sec. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to The Morning Blaze. I'm Jason Butchel. And with me is Chris Cruz. 888-900-3393 is the number to call in. Tweet at us at Jason Butchel or at Real Chris Cruz. Um, I'm going to get back to uh, my little uh, rant coming up at the top of the hour. Um, that right there, though, that you just heard, though, that's, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you can't get any more in, 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 in terms of principles than a veteran saying, screw that. The government's not doing their job. I'm doing something myself. And that conservative uh, media is not picking up with that, with that story and running with it to help them teach conservative principles to be that Mr. Miyagi is absolutely tragic. But I am going to get back into more of that uh, probably in about 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you're doing. This is not 
the suicide show. <laughs> just to let you know. I have a feeling they have like about 10 people just eating their guns right now. <laughs> Hold on. The comedy's coming back. You know, the suicide show starts after this one. I know, but I'm a writer for Glenn Beck. I that, know. That's, and my, it's that's so all I know. <laughs> I have like three pages of a monologue that you wanted to do. I told the guys, you know, I was like, get ready. It's going to be a very weird day. Because we started with a monologue. Something that the Morning Blaze has never done like that. So it's very interesting to see. But I want to bring back, you know, I, I was, as how you were doing some monologuing. And uh, I got a couple of new books on my mail slot. And I want to run them by you. Alrighty. Because uh, they're pretty cool. I think they're pretty cool. So the first one I got is The End of Life as We Know It. Uh, and I'm the <laughs> catastrophist or the depressing person? And you bring that book in. Are you serious? It is very interesting. Uh, and then you got Plight of the Living Dead, What Real Zombies Reveal About Our World and Ourselves. That's awesome. That made me think of you completely because it quotes The Walking Dead in the back. Wait, who is the, who's the author of that? Uh, this is Sam, no, uh, Matt Simon. Okay. We had a listener one time call in, I think, to, uh, oh, you know, it was, uh, it was I was doing a podcast, though, talking oh, Walking yes, Dead podcast. Oh, yes, her. Yes, I remember, you remember her. she called in? Yes, yes. Didn't yes. she write like a similar she book? She did write a, a similar book, uh, and I think Jeffy has that, and I think he might interview her on his new podcast, Chewing the Fat. Anything yeah. Anything having to do with uh, zombies or The Walking oh, Dead? Oh, yeah. You guys are in it. Call then me. we got Gosnell, <laughs> The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific oh Serial Killer. Oh, my gosh, this is Now, crazy. look at this book. This book looks scary just by, just look at that. This is crazy. It's the true crime bestseller behind the movie. So we're going to talk to him in about uh, maybe, a, what is it? I don't know, math. So a 7.30 Eastern, that's when we talk to him. That's and much, that's mu you have to listen to that interview. We're going to close the show today with a, I don't know, do you, I don't call him a comedian, but it's a funny book. It's the Eric Metaza's newest book. Um, I just read it in there. It's that simple. You could read it like, look at this. You said... It's funny you said because you said, oh, it's like the Flintstones. But look at those graphics. It's exact, it is exactly, exactly, like, yeah. it's exactly like the Flintstones. That's hilarious. So it's really good. It took me like 10 minutes to read it. So I see this. I don't know about you, but I see this getting to my kids. Really? Yeah. Wait, wait. But is it, but is it, is it highly politi political though? No, because it talks about, and I love how the bottom says, based on a true story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it talks about how there was this man named Donald. <laughs> and the people saw that the king was getting too powerful and he wanted to save them. So he wanted to drain the swamp and then to drain the swamp from the little evil dinosaurs. <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool. Like I see my, <laughs> I see my seven year old being like, okay. Oh, there's Mitch McConnell there as a turtle. You know, there is, uh, you know, uh, what, Lindsey Graham. It, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I see. I'm like, definitely this could be a, I don't know, Christmas gift, you know, <laughs> for that kid that's going to college. Hey, read this comic. Because the way it also is written is like a comic book. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool. So out of all these, which one you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I'm thinking Donald Drains a Swamp <laughs> and Gosnell. Okay. Those so, two. So we're not going to do the end of life as we know it. I mean, I, we really can't because you just hit me up for being too, you know. I did. Down. By the way. This book, it's a miss. I'm gonna give it to you later because it talks about like what Glenn was talking about. Is this like Little an AI, AI oh, robots okay, okay. taking the world and that kind of scary thing? So it's I read a little bit. It's pretty cool. And then this one is just fascinating. 
this is one of the most interesting books I've seen. I'm all in. And anything, it's very interesting. Anything zombie related, anything like Walking Dead related, I'm like all in. That's crazy. You know, so the, the AI book, though, actually, circling yeah. back to that. I like, have, did you listen to uh, the Ro Joe Rogan experience when he had Elon Musk? Where yes, they're yes, smoking yeah, doobies yeah, and all that? Yeah. There was this like crazy, because we, we hear, we get that a lot around here because Glenn has been like one of the only people uh, in the media talking about AI. Mm -hmm. But there was this part where Musk is like fatalistic. He's like, it's coming whether we like it or not. We're going to be affected major in a major way whether mm -hmm. we like it or not. Nothing we can do about it. That hit me. We'll be right back. Sorry, we didn't mean to offend you. Actually, yeah, we did. This is the Morning Blaze on the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Jason Buttrell. Number to call in if you want, 888-900-3393, or tweet at me, at Jason Buttrell. You can also tweet Chris Cruz, at Real Chris, Cru Chris Cruz. Let us know what you think, what you disagree with, what you agree with. Um, I want to get back into my uh, rant on this big concept Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to start with this uh, tweet that I just saw from uh, Senator Chuck Grassley. Uh, looks like he sent this in last night. Uh, he said, President Trump tonight in Iowa talked about record number of judges confirmed, plus Justices Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, best economy and lowest unemployment in half a century. Trade deals, including USMCA, which was almost the coolest acronym uh, ever, if they could just leave off the A. So I, I, I'm just going to call it the USMC, which is dope. Um, but USMC successfully renegotiated, stronger military than ever before, border secure, and on and on and on. So he ain't wrong. He's not wrong in any of that. It should be, we should all be like absolutely uh, jumping for joy, singing the praises of the president and the leadership uh, because <clears throat> there's a lot of good things going on right now. Things are looking better. But young Republicans don't feel that way. They don't. My question now is why? Why don't young Republicans, why aren't they jumping on board? Is it because they are being tempted and lured by the left? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so because the, this new young group, they're, they're smart. They're, <clears throat> they're listening to podcasts from, from the intellectual dark web. You know, the, uh, the Ben Shapiro's, the Jordan Peterson's. They're listening to Joe Rogan. I listening to Joe Rogan. I mentioned him a couple of times. But he's an interesting cat because he's a, he's a guy that is more left-leaning but he's also a guy that you could have a conversation with if you're very entrenched in the right and, and agree with a lot of the stuff he says. And you also could have a very good conversation with him and not get angry with each other, which is very rare. Very rare in today's climate. But these are the types of people that young conservatives are listening to. And they want more. They want, they want to know more. They want to learn more. They're thirsty for it. I remember there's this uh, scene in the, that movie, The American President, where 
and of course this was that was written by a lefty and uh that uh, and it's all about like a, you know left-leaning politics in that movie but i remember there was like michael j fox was like you know they're thirsty you know he's there standing in the oval office he's talking to michael douglas play the president and michael j fox is like they're thirsty you know and if they don't have water they'll drink the sand and that really hit me i remember when i saw that movie i think i was in college at the time and i was like wow you know that, that was just really profound um, people that are so thirsty for something, if they're not getting it, they'll drink anything, anything. But right now, young conservatives aren't getting it. Now, they're seeing results. They're seeing results. But they're not getting something. So, they're not getting it from anyone currently in the GOP. They're not. I mean, anyone. You know, from the president, uh, to the House, to the Senate, you know, Listen to this. So remember this comment from uh, then-candidate Trump from one of the primary debates. Listen. To me, I view the word conservative as a derivative of of the word conserve. Uh, We want to conserve our money. We want to conserve our wealth. We want to conserve. We want to be smart. We want to be smart where we go, where we spend, how we spend. We want to conserve our country. We want to save our country. And we have people that have no idea how to do that, and they're not doing it. And it's a very important word, and it's something I believe in very, very strongly. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, maybe I shouldn't laugh. That was, um, th- there were the, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, every time, I love that. I love that audio. Uh, can we maybe keep that and play it uh, like on loop on some random station that we can create here. It's, it's just funny to me. Uh, it was, there was a whole, long, <laughs> there was a whole line. Of, you know, Chris, one more time, roll that beautiful bean footage. To me, I view the word conservative as a derivative of, of the word conserve. Uh, we want to conserve our money. We want to conserve our wealth. We want to conserve. We want to be smart. We want to be smart where we go, where we spend, how we spend. We want to conserve our country. We want to save our country. And we have people that have no idea how to do that, and they're not doing it. And it's a very important word, and it's something I believe in very, very strongly. <laughs> All right. I'm trying. Sorry, Chris. Uh, you have to. No, never mind. I'm good. Uh, so that, that was uh, then candidate Trump uh, defining <laughs> defining what conservatism is. Um, so. Uh, yeah, uh, none of them really had too great of an answer, really. And that's the biggest problem I'm getting at here. Um, no one has been able to really tell a young audience or any audience in general, period, what conservatism is. No one. Like, we're not getting it from Paul Ryan. We're not getting it from Mitch McConnell. And we're not getting it to the president. And, you know, I don't want to bash the president. I'm not bashing the president on this. I just, I don't really... I don't think he's been tempered in that fire like what we talked about. I, I don't think that, you know, he, he's he got a big business perspective and things he does, you know, kind of like goes along in, the, in those lines. But I don't, I, personally, I don't believe that he is a true conservative at heart. I don't. Now, I'm not bashing his policies because, again, as we've talked about before, and a lot of older conservatives will agree with, a lot of his policies have fit the conservative mold. So we have no room to really complain there. Now, you can complain a little bit on tariffs and all that stuff. And the Around the World segment, I'll, we'll get into like maybe what these tariffs mean and, and, and all that and uh, you know maybe the, some of the strategy behind it. But I don't want to go there right now. But anyway, but everything besides the tariffs has been great. But, but conservatives are lacking something that 
can not only teach conservatism, but also sell it. We don't have anybody that can teach conservative principles and sell it. No one's able to sell it. And that's amazing to me. Like, how have we not been able to sell conservatism to a young audience? It's very easy for the socialists, like Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, to sell socialism to a young audience. Very simple. You just tell them that it's tolerant, and you tell them it's, you know, it's all about equality. You use buzzwords, and they all fall in line. You don't get a lot of the substance ramifications, all that stuff beyond it. But they're ve- it's very easy for them to sell it. It's especially very easy for them to sell it. All the more easy when there's no one on the other side saying, look, this is what we stand for. And these are the core beliefs. I read a quote at the top of the show where I was like, hey, can you guys guess who this is? Now, I want to read that again before I carry on uh, into this. Um, So here's that quote one more time. Quote, I thought government could solve all our post-war problems just that it had ended the depression and won the war. I didn't trust big business. I thought government, not private companies, should shut our, uh, should own our big public utilities. If there wasn't enough housing or shelter uh, uh, to shelter the American people, I thought government should build it. If we needed a better medical care, the answer was socialized medicine. Okay, so who was that? That was Ronald Reagan. That was Reagan. Reagan actually believed that the government was the answer to problems. I mean, he, he was a big-time FDR Democrat. Big time. Like, he was all on, you know, the FDR train. Big FDR Democrat. But he, it took him a while to get from FDR Democrat to one of the greatest conservative uh, politicians uh, or just people in America. Well, okay, let's say greatest conservative president since Calvin Coolidge. So it took, in the, in the amount of time between Calvin Coolidge and Ronald Reagan... There was a period of, you know, political turmoil where the Overton window shifted over towards the left. And that was the new norm. That was the standard. And people that were running, uh, you know, as Republicans, you know, that was the rhino, you know, period. Republicans in name only. And that was like what Ronald Reagan, that was the, the, the environment that he was, you know, coming up in was where conservatism had lost its focus. Does that sound familiar to today? So it, it was a conversion process for Reagan from FDR Democrat to conservative that took over a decade of study and experience. So talk about, you know, being forged in that fire. Um, I talked to, with Sarah a little bit yesterday, briefly hit on it, and it kind of gave me some inspiration for what I want to talk about today. But Reagan, if you don't know his conversion story, it is absolutely fascinating. So, you know, again, as I said, FDR Democrat then you know he goes to work for uh, GE General Electric as like their as their spokesman, and they were having an issue with labor unions. They were you know trying to lobby against that, but they were trying to teach people why you know you need to unleash uh, private businesses. You need to unleash them. You don't need to regulate them into the ground. And I don't even know if I don't even think probably Reagan even believed that at the time. But the more he like the, the GE launched this campaign where they were to, you know giving out pamphlets. They're like, look, these are conservative principles. These are conservative principles. This is why it's better to not regulate, but unleash, you know, you, the, you know, the individual and you, the uh, businessman, you have to unleash them, not regulate them. So over a time, Reagan learned those principles there. He talked about them. He did videos up for them. He gave speeches on that for GE. He became the uh, SAG 
uh, spokesman and then saw the uh, you know radical left uh, pushing uh, the narrative from Hollywood. Huh. Does that again, does that sound familiar today? It is the 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 similarities from what Reagan was having to deal with to now is striking. Almost exactly the same. Almost exactly the same. It's it's amazing. But by the time Reagan hit the stage on October 27th, 1964, he gave what I mean, you gotta call this the day of infamy. Uh, for the for the left, for Democrats. This was your day of infamy because Reagan gave a speech called A Time for Choosing and it changed everything. Reagan began a campaign of educating America on conservative principle and it effectively brought the left to their knees. To their knees. It kicked off, what, 16 straight, or no, 12 years? 12 straight years of, uh, of, of GOP representation in the executive? I mean... Unprecedented. <clears throat> now, he's capable of doing that today because it's the only way we're going to win this war in the long run. It's the only way. Someone has to be that guy for us to continue and go forward. Someone has to be that guy. Now, again, how is it that young people, an age you know, of life where authority and being told what to do is constantly questioned and you know, and pushed back on, you know, how is it that these so-called rebels, they're siding with the democratic left, the democratic left that wants to tell kids what to do in every aspect of their lives. Does that make any sense at all? No, it doesn't. Like kids are not wired to say, Hey, please, someone tell me what to do, please, please. So can I have some more? Can you please tell me what to do? Kids aren't wired that way, but they're siding with the political party and an ideology that basically says, look, we're going to tell you everything to do. We're going to tell you how to live. We're going to tell you where you can get your health care. We're going to tell you, you know, how you can do your business. That's not, that's not how the youth is wired, but that's where they're uh, moving to. It's insane. How is this happening? You know, when you really look at it, conservatives are the rebels. We are the rebels. How are kids not seeing that? It makes no sense. It's because no one is effectively framing it like that. They're not selling it. There is no Mr. Miyagi right now to tell Daniel LaRusso how to be a conservative and what that means. Until we find that, we are screwed going forward. Somebody has to step up and be that guy. There needs to be a Reagan to teach. There needs to be a Mr. Miyagi to teach Daniel LaRusso to stand up against the Cobra Kai's. Back in a second. Welcome back to the Morning Blaze. I'm Jason Butchel at Jason Butchel and Chris Cruz at Real Chris Cruz. Uh, the number to call in, 888-900-3393. If you want to yell at us, screw with us, whatever, or just uh, shoot it, screw let us know. Us. Shoot it. Um, You're so violent. I was, <laughs> what? Are you I just talked about, like, I kind of got fired up. A little opposite bit. opposite of your monologue. Well, I was I was gonna say shoot the, and then I was like, uh, shoot the, sh- you know, shoot the stuff, you know, okay, shoot the. And then I was grandpa. like, uh. next thing you're gonna say is uh, the internet, the Twitter, <laughs> the Facebook. The, yeah. is, is that what you're doing? You know, it's funny. I just tell, I was just telling Chris off here. I was like, I uh, this is the last day I'm doing the morning blaze. Yes, this is the last week. So I was like, you know, I'm going out with a bang. I was like, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I always write these uh, these radio monologues or TV monologues for Glenn. I was like, you know what, I'm going to do an hour-long 
Glenn style monologue. And probably a lot of people are asking this. It's like, what is the mindset you get when you start writing those monologues? Because I do like some of them are good. Some are like, okay, I, eh. But like, how do you get on your zone? It's it's, it's very difficult. <clears throat> I I feel like it's very difficult to get in the mindset of Glenn Beck thinking. Yeah. And not only that, is you try to put it on a piece of paper and then give it to him and be like. All right, boss. Sure. Here yeah. it is. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting because, yeah, it's, it's not easy. And, like, speechwriters have a very difficult time because you have to, like, kind of project yourself into somebody exactly. else's yeah. mind and try and say what they would say. But the, the, the easy thing with me and Glenn is I've been with Glenn for a while. Mm. So I know a lot about, you know, like how he thinks and how he says things. So I know, like, how he says things. But the, but the problem is, is that someone like Glenn... And I'm sure all of you know this, but like Glenn's a very deep thinker. Mm-hmm. He's reading like multiple books at a time. Like they're all <laughs> set up like, you know, on like a, like an orchestra stand, you know, and he's like reading five books at once. And so he's constantly evolving. So like, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to keep up with a guy. Do you read the books that he reads? Typically, yeah. Okay. So whatever yeah. he's reading, you probably either reading it or usually here's a copy from Glenn. You know, <laughs> before I get into this next thing, and since I want to do like a like a Doc Thompson nostalgia, okay, because like since you know he's he's now doing his his other thing and he's like mm-hmm. you know doing awesome stuff. This is like this is kind of like my homage, like goodbye okay. to Doc. Okay. So I want to tell this story. Okay, so well, this is one of my best hilarious moments with Doc, and I know okay. you got a ton of them. Oh, I do. Yes, but uh, most so, of them are not safe for work. But you're right. But this goes on to like where uh, we we were doing this thing, uh, like and again it goes back to Glenn's books. Uh, Glenn was reading some books and he wanted us to read some and so uh doc had read a ton of them and he was actually like leading that these little like doc oh, you know, yes, reading groups yes. i remember those and yeah. there was this hilarious part where he was doing it and he was surrounded by a bunch of women and so everybody in his little study group and it was down by like where, where we call it the cantina where everyone eats here in the studio and it was doc and there was like maybe like six or seven uh women that had joined and uh they were sitting around doc and doc was getting his notes ready in, in the book and everything and he was getting all his stuff and there was this video that i had our, this little prank on my phone you know where i'm going with this yes, so there was this like this prank video on my phone and so like it, it looks like a video so if you text it to somebody that the the thumbnail image is of two guys about to fight and so i <laughs> so i said so but so this is but so the narrator goes so this is narrator but it wasn't a fight video it was audio of people engaging in, how do we say this? Say for intercourse. Air. Intercourse, very loudly. <laughs> so, so, th- so this is the premise of the prank. So, if you send it to someone and you and you hit the little play button, it's banking off the fact that everyone like dims their the ringer. Yeah. But the sound on their phones always turned up max. Yes. I don't do that anymore after this prank. <laughs> I turn it way down. So, so, so you hit the play button, expecting to see a fight, and then you hear this audio. Okay. So I we texted it over to him, and then we're peering around the corner, and we're like, "Will he open it, or will he just launch into his class?" So of course he breaks out his phone, presses the play button to see this awesome fight, and these noises go echoing down the uh-huh. Blaze uh, Studio. It's and it's like an echo chamber here. <laughs> And then Doc immediately starts fumbling with his phone. It's like he's juggling with it. It's like he only has one phone, but it's like he's juggling three phones, trying to like turn the uh, the sound down. <laughs> I remember that. It was so I great. Absolutely. And his face that. is like all red, and he's like looking around, like to see, like of course everybody in the studio heard it. It was the most hilarious thing. I mean, I, I cried laughing in a long time. But that's our boy, man. We're gonna it miss him. It was you and um. Uh, What's the guy that sits next to you? Was it Caleb? Yeah, yeah, me and Caleb. 
I, at first, it was funny too. He like he like actually convinced me to do it. I was like, "Should we do this? <laughs> Will HR get involved if I do Absolutely this?" Absolutely not. No, 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 do it, no, do it. Yes, I, yes. I was like, and then even Caleb, if they get involved, they should understand it was a prank. <laughs> you're right. And then Caleb was all like, "I think he was using like a like a uh, like a mind control thing on me." And he's like, "Oh, you won't do it. You won't do it." And it's like, "Oh, I'll do it. I'm reverse, doing it. I'm doing. Send." <laughs> he just reverse psychology on you. It was so great. Um, so like really quick, uh, I want to. This like goes straight into uh, big concept Wednesdays. Uh, I'm gonna like go right off of like how we said how we need someone to teach conservative principles, and straight into we could have even made this a game show. Should have had like have. a uh, yeah. should have had like a little tone, but things socialists will never tell you. Play it. Perfect. Things socialists won't tell you. Number one on my list. Here we go. The definition of socialism. Oh well, you can't do that. You can't, yeah, you definitely... You, you automatically give them the definition? Okay, bye. Exactly. Nothing more damning... That is, yeah, ...than the actual definition, but bye. they won't do it. No, you... Well, they can't. Like, if you like if you go to the so, uh, Democratic Socialist of America, they should have the definition right at the top. Well, this is what socialism if, is. If they do that, they lose their... They lose the, the coverage. Exactly. They're, they're absolutely done. That's why they put democratic in front of socialist to yes. try and mask what it really is. Yes. But the definition, as per the dictionary, this is what it is. A political and economic theory of social organization and advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. So I think they added in or regulated. It's more, it's just, it's basically owned by the community as a whole. But community as a whole, and in other words, that's, it's the state. Community as a whole means the state. Mm-hmm. So when they say give power to the people, they don't mean power to the people, they mean power to the dictator. Yeah, power to the authoritarian ruler. That that's what community as a whole means. So and that, so this is what democratic socialists ultimately want. So when you hear people like Ocasio Cortez, Bernie Sanders, people like that, anyone endorsed by DSA or one of their candidates, in a nutshell, they want the death of capitalism. Well, yeah. that's what they want. Well, yeah, he, which I don't understand. Why is it that? I know capitalism is not perfect, and I know right now we don't have capitalism. We got crony capitalism. And I get it, but why would you get rid of the thing that made us wealthy? Right. The the thing that makes you know America spin. The thing that gives all these crazy nutcases power and money. You want to get rid of that? You got great on this way. Oh, okay. Forget that. Let's go on this route now. Yeah. What? What is going on? Which leads me into number two. Here we go. Countries under socialism, how have they fared? Let us count thy ways. <laughs> These are the countries that have exist or have existed under socialism. A few of them. I mean, there's several of them, but there's a few. Before you go, give me the pig under you. Oh, yes. Here we go. Yeah. Where is the pig? Under you. Oh, there it is. That Great radio. Like, hey. Great radio right there. <laughs> well, there's Great like, radio. There's like 12,000 cords the attached to the pig. There we go. All right. All right. So, number one. China. Would you love to live in China? No. China is... They just killed an Interpol agent. I'm sorry. He's dead to me. I'm sorry for his... They just killed an Interpol chief. And they're trying to get his wife. Which I hate you for that story because now I'm all obsessed about this story. When you, <laughs> when you live in... We might come back to this in a okay. the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, in China, an authoritarian rule. Again, a, 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 a country where they say owned by the people... Not really for the people, but no. ran by the people. But really, it's the dictator. Mm-hmm. It's the party. It's the Politburo. Um, number two, the uh, number two country, North Korea. 
That's impossible. Isn't that the uh, uh, North Korea Republic, People Republic, something like that? The, oh, yeah. It's a, they're the Democratic People's Republic yeah, of Korea. Yeah. Isn't that the name of the actual country? Right. They're fine. <laughs> they should be fine. They're Democratic. Yeah, exactly. So ridiculous. That, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Socialism. Again, uh, going back to the definition where business is owned by the state. Mm. Everything is owned by the state. Number three country, the old Soviet Union. Again, does not exist because the system sucked and yeah. it failed. Yes. Another country, Cuba. Oh, Fidel Castro and the Castro hermanos. We know all about Cuba. Let's go straight to and the final one and really the uh, dagger in oh. the back of this. Venezuela. Uh, if they could put Venezuela on like the, the point of their ship, they would. <laughs> this, Venezuela is the mermaid of of the ship, or, you know, like the pirate ship. Totally, but but then they but they'll never own Venezuela because no. it's funny. Like if you if if you have if you have a blue check mark next to your name and you mm-hmm. compare if you mention the word socialism in one tweet and uh, Venezuela, instantly these bots or yes. trolls from DSA the, will start the, hitting uh, you hard. Yep, the uh, whatever the socialist party tweets at you, automatic. We are coming back very soon with the author of the uh, Gosnell book. This is insane. Turn your radios up. You do not want to miss this. This is going to be insane. I don't know how to describe it. Coming right back up. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. Welcome back to the Morning Blaze. I'm Jason Buttrell. At Jason Butchell, with me as always, Real Chris Cruz, at Real yeah. Chris Cruz. Number to call in is 888-900-3393. Encourage you to call in if you want to yell at me again. Probably more just like agree with me. On this big Concept <clears throat> Wednesday. On this big Concept Wednesday. Yeah. Um, I actually lied. We're having a, a hard time getting hold of the uh, Gosnell you didn't, writer. You didn't lie. So- <laughs> you didn't lie. So, um, but He's we- scheduled. Let's put it this way. He's scheduled to talk to us. On this segment, homie's doing a lot of media right now. Yes, so he's probably that's, hitting up a lot and that's of funny you said because that's one of the things you, you said during the break. It's like, man, the media push behind this movie and the book is fascinating. Totally, yeah. And they're like, oh, but it's only you only hear it now. Yeah, which is another thing we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Like, why are we only hearing about this now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I do that, I want to uh, go to the hotline. I'm gonna go to Jeff in Missouri. Jeff, you're on the hotline, bling. Thanks for calling in, brother. Hey, how you doing today, guys? Having fun. It sounds like. Oh, yeah, for sure. Sure, for sure. What's on your mind, brother? Uh, well, I had a couple quick questions on your mind. I'm a disabled veteran. I was disabled in peacetime uh, between all the wars and stuff, so I don't quite have the experiences you guys have, and I'm a bit older. I had one quick question real quick on another subject. You guys are familiar with the stu- you familiar, especially the stu- about the student loans and everything else. Yeah. I, I've kind of mentioned. Painfully so. Well, can you- yeah, can you tell what was the interest rate you guys had to pay on your student loans and that people going to school right now are having to pay? Mine was four. I mean, I've been told it's like 12 or 13%. 
Yeah. Oh, my. So when was when did you get yours, Chris? Uh, two thousand and six. Okay. Yeah. Mine was a lot higher. I, I believe. Well, not, I, th- I think mine was like around eight percent. Yeah. Um, See, that's the most. I was in school in in the car. You know, just at the tail end of Carter and Reagan. So you're talking. You know, interest rates were eighteen percent at that time. Wow. But yet, student loans are. Well, no. I mean, talk that my student loan was seven percent. Yeah. But the, what everybody was paying for a house loan, you know, the economy was in the toilet right then with Carter. If the student loan is the most secure loan that can ever be had, you can't get out of it for bankruptcy. You can't get out of it under any way, right. shape, no. or form. Why isn't the student student loan rate tied to the to the federal three percent or four percent? Mm, really good question. Why in the world are people paying? these ridiculous rates on a loan that can never be gotten out from under. It's more secure than any home loan. Yeah. Very I mean, that's, good that's point. It's something I have never heard anybody talk about over all these years. I mean, that wasn't my main point, but it's just like, why in the world are people going to school and getting screwed over with these ridiculous <laughs> rates? Right. When I paid seven, when people were buying houses at 18, back in wow. the, like I said, Carter Reagan years, the beginning of Reagan, and it's just like it doesn't make any sense to me. You guys are getting doubly got doubly screwed over. You uh, you, you know, bring up you an, an excellent point. Um, yeah, I, th- you know nobody's ever told me you can't get out of you can't. <clears throat> get, I mean, I got away from my student loans for one and only reason. I was disabled, had an hmm. injury on in service. I was paying back my student loans. You know, I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Hey, that that was what happened with me in the service. No problem. That's what happened. So they forgave my loans because of that. But I didn't have that much to forgive in my day, you know. Uh, and you mentioned like, it's one of the I, most secure loans. I mean, they are militant on those loans. Like, oh yeah, when, yeah, when you I was can't declare bankruptcy and walk away from them like you can a house. Yeah. So why aren't you paying four, five, six percent at the most? I at one it's point, obscene. somebody is getting. I, I just I wish somebody would bring that out and beat it and beat it over the president's head and beat it over everybody else's. That this is wrong, wrong, wrong. Absolutely agree. You know. Thank, thanks so much, Jeff, for calling in. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, what's so crazy is that the uh, student loans are um, are militant. Yeah, and he picks he he's, he brings up a very good. That's point. a very good. I, I when I joined the military, that's when I got my my first loan, and I completely you know you join the military, it's like shock. Ah! I forgot to set up automatic payment. Yeah. So I defaulted for 120 days because that's how long was my entire from boot camp to, you know, uh, job training. And I called them, showed them my orders. Oh, sorry, sir. You, you delinquent. I'm like, but I was, oh, you should have done something about it. Did you, did they uh, garnish? Okay, so same thing happened to me. And these, and these, and these, same, there's tons of these stories. There are thousands of these stories. And a lot money. of people, like, you know, actually, th- this is kind of a, this might be a jihad for the day. So if, <laughs> if you've had an, an issue with student loans, if you've had some kind of problem or, or they've come after you unfairly, I want to know about it. I want to bring this to light. 888 mm-hmm. Because the same thing happened to me. Listen, this is my story. So I had all these student loans. I got out and, like, there were tensions going on with Iraq. So I wanted to do a, a term of service. So I went into the Marine Corps. And uh, <clears throat> my student loans, when you go into the military, they, they get delayed. So you don't have to pay them back. So you don't have to pay them back until you, your term of service ends. Mm-hmm. Now, my term of service ended. <clears throat> and 
they assigned my loan to a company that I then started paying on. Mm. But then, because they're always trying to like you know make money off these, restructure them, so they sell them off. They sold my loan off to another company, and I didn't get because I was doing a lot of moving right after I got out of the military, and uh, I didn't get the letter. That said, that who they sold it off to? Yes,、yeah, because they have to notify you. Yes, or who is your new debt? So, right. So then I started getting like a bunch of junk mail, and I got the I got started getting these letters from some random bank or whatever, and I never even opened it. I thought it was like a credit card scam or something like that. I never even opened it. So I finally got a phone call saying that you have you know failed to you know、uh, you know to、uh, respond, and we are now uh, uh, putting this program to garnish your wages. Wow, I, my wages were garnished until like I can't remember. It was like it was a it was a certain period of time, and then I had to set up through another company a payment plan. But the but the screwy thing was is that this happened to me not once but twice. It happened、oh. again not too not too、uh, far off ago. This was like maybe five years ago or something like that.、It、happened again. And again, they garnished my wages, but this time I was almost all the way paid for it, and they garnished my wages all the way up until when the loan was、uh, basically paid off.、Mm. It was insane. The other one that kind of bothers me because I just got this letter. I think it was last week, and it really upsets me. I got a. Oh, this is so stupid. Get a letter from the government, and it says we overpaid you by three thousand dollars because I get disability. If you don't answer us, we will. No longer pay you starting December 2018 until we collect all the money. So I'm like, why? Why? Yeah, it's my money. I'm disabled. Give me okay. And by the way, it's your fault that you overpaid me. It wasn't my fault. I called him like, well, you know, you should have noticed that your check was bigger. I was like, I thought honestly that there was a, like a raise to the percentage、mm. for disability. I absolutely thought there was something where, like, hey, you know, every, every disabled veteran gets a raise, you know, a two percent, something like that. So over the last six months, they overpaid me three thousand something dollars, and now they're like, we're gonna hold your checks from December twenty eighteen until we get the three thousand dollars back.、Yeah. I was like, okay, and they're like, what if I want to fight this? They're like, well, you know, if you want to fight this, I have to fill out two forms and、I、have to go down by the numbers of how much I get paid. How much? Well, basically, like a budget, and to see if by them removing my disability check for those two and a half months, it will put me in financial crisis. Wow, this was after you.、Uh... This is last month. Whoa, whoa! No, 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 no. This is I got a letter last month from the Department of the Veterans saying that they overpaid me three thousand dollars and they want the money back. I could pay them three thousand dollars and eighty and three thousand eighty dollars. Or they could start holding my checks starting December twenty eighteen. So these are like medical like checks and stuff, right? Yeah, this is disability. Check, oh my、yeah. gosh, guys! So the the this is another scam that I'm about to go ham on because this is so if you are going into the military or if you're in the military or if your kids are in the military, please listen to this right now. So when they're when they're going towards their end of active service, they go through a. I'm I'm, I'm assuming there's something similar for the Air Force. Yes,、um, this is when you're trying to. Uh, I can't remember what they call it. It's like a transition, like class that lasts like, like a mop week. Something, yeah. But yeah, you, you like you turn in all your gear, but you、mm-hmm. also sit through classes、mm-hmm. where they're like, "Hey, this, but, this is what's going to happen." Right. So at one point, a doctor comes in. Yes.、Uh, and they're like,、VA. 
Right. And they're like, so do you have, have you, do you have any scars on you? Yes. Um, if so, you can claim that and get mm-hmm. some disability money. Your eyes. Your you know, eyes, like um, anything. Like, did you ever break your arm? You have any kind of debilitating thing? And then they get into like the, the, the mental stuff. Like, do you have PTSD? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, well, what's PTSD? Then they start defining it. Like, you know, the, the most extreme cases all the way down to where, hey, have you ever even had a, uh, a nightmare, a nightmare you know, or something yeah. like that? Oh, you so, can't sleep. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Insomnia. Yeah, I remember it was a specifically one. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so it so they list all this stuff, and of course everyone has like experienced something. So everybody's writing all these things down, just checking out like, hey, free money, right? When mm-hmm. I get out, sure, I'll take that. Even if it's just a hundred bucks a month, I'll take that. Um, now the problem is like, the, so, so for the, especially for the PTSD ones, this is this is the one that I'm most that I was most concerned about. So we are now seeing like uh, medical records are, are electronic. They're going online, mm-hmm. especially if these become, let's say one of these days, they actually pull off single pay, single payer health care. <laughs> let's say they do that. So basically the government's re- uh, regulating all this stuff and they can look at your medical records. What can they impose on you if you have a history of, they won't just say it's a mild case of PTSD. Mm-mm. They'll say you have a history of some kind of medical disorder. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, a mental disorder. Mental disorder. That's what they'll say. So what can that knock you out of? Owning a firearm? Absolutely. Um, who knows the, the the possibilities of that? Watch, you be on watch. People, you have you have government Some officials. Kind of list. Uh, you be on the list. Can you fly? Can you get on a bus? Can you leave the country? Right. Can you leave the state? It's it's really crazy. And, and the one thing about the PTSD, uh, when I went through my care, the first thing they tried to do was give me medicine for example, like pills, like depression pills. Um, and or some kind of like anti-anxiety, and I was thinking, you know what? No, I really like. I hate pills. I, I hate medication. So I just want to. What is the alternate? They're like, well, we can just sit down once a uh, five times a week for an hour and a half and talk. Yeah. And I was like, talk about what? Well, we could you know talk about your treatment. We could talk about the PTSD. We could talk about the traumatic situation that happened, and then we could just start you know trying to get that away from you. And that was the best year and a half of my life mm. because I uncovered things that I did not remember. Hmm. But they, and then they were able to go back and like, oh hey yeah you this happened to you. It was very interesting. But the one thing that bothers me is the medical question when the VA doctor comes in on base and tries to get you, hey, hearing loss, you work with dogs. I'm like, yeah. Well, you know that all that barking when you go to the kennels, that could ruin, you know, give it like some ringing. And I, I remember sitting there, I'm like, you're right. I hear a ringing on my ear. <laughs> yeah, there's something there. Be very, very careful yeah. uh, in that meeting. And, and and again, if you know someone that's getting near their term uh, to get out of the service. Just advise them. J- just advise them. Yeah. Just advise them. Um, I want to get really quick to uh, to a tweet before we get back to things that socialists won't tell you. Or, you know, if the producer can ever like get that guest on. Is he staring at me? Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know it's not your fault. Um, so, uh, yeah, I got, a, I got a tweet from Randy Hoff. Uh, I said, just listen to you said you are half right reasons we are losing and continue to lose is because we have lost the high ground of language the terms of conservatism and liberalism uh, is to me oxymoronic the real issue is uh, about sovereignty and personal liberty yeah and i agree with you and i kind of think we're saying the same thing really um i I think that we have lost the ability for anyone to articulate that i think that that no one has effectively been able to do that and again kind of like what i was saying no one can sell it Mm -hmm. we don't have anybody that can sell it we need somebody that can be able to do that and again the reason why 
how you how uh, how Randy pointed out that uh, is that, you know we, we've lost the you know the high ground on language again. There's like a lot of things involved, like postmodernism. Glenn's talked about that. Um, uh, you know, cultural Marxism, where people are trying to rewrite words. They're trying to assign new definitions to to some words. Um, the beginning of co- the one of the biggest cultural Marxists, a guy from the Frankfurt School. His name was Herbert Marcuse. Marcuse. Um, who came over from Germany and started really pushing cultural Marxism. He actually helped redefine the word tolerance. Tolerance Mm. was only tolerant if you agreed with leftist policies, the new left back in the 60s. It was then that the the left became tolerant and uh, conservatives became intolerant. Now, it it was never that way before, but cultural Marxists and postmodernists changed the language. Anyway, I'm going back into my, like, crazy... You know, rant, uh, big concept Wednesday, and we've all transitioned from that. So uh, before you punch me in the face, we're going to get back to our list of social things that socialists will never tell you. We'll get back to that after this. Welcome back to the Morning Blaze. Remember to call in 888-900-3393 or tweet at me at Jason Butchel or tweet yeah. at Chris at Real Chris Cruz. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I wasn't going to get right back into things that socialists will never tell you, but our, our phones are like blowing up. Oh, for sure. Uh, there's, I don't even know if we're going to be able to get to all these, but <clears throat> let's see. Let's, what's the, uh, uh, let's just pick Scott because uh, Scott in Pennsylvania has a similar s- uh, situation to Chris. Scott from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, man. Good morning, guys. Uh, I'm in Pennsylvania, and after you're on disability for two years in Pennsylvania, they automatically give you uh, Medicare A and B. Now, mm. at the time when I was, you know, on the on disability every two years, I was under my wife's insurance at her job, and we weren't paying anything for it. And I dropped B because why should I pay for something that I already had coverage under? But then when my wife passed away and, you know, I didn't have her insurance and when I tried to get back on and they're telling me it's different when we give it to you and then when you apply for it. And I don't qualify because my income, a disability is over their cap of, you know, how much you can bring into the home. So I said, well, what if I drop my A and then I don't have anything and, you know, reapply. And they said, if you drop your A, you have to drop your disability and pay back everything you they gave you. Oh, wow. So it's like I'm on a, on a carousel and I can't get off. Wow. What, when, what, what did you, what, what, did I miss this? What, what was your disability? Like, what, what happened to you? When uh, you were in? I had Parkinson's disease. They diagnosed me in 2009 with it at the age of 47, which is very young for Usually it's in the 60s. You know, you're in your 60s when you get it. Wow. So, and, and they they diagnosed you while you were in the military? No, I wasn't in the military. This oh, gotcha. I've been a civilian all my life. Unfortunately, I you know I didn't join the military. I wanted to, but I support them all the way. But you know, I'm not the only one in the, in this boat in Pennsylvania. It's you know, there's many people in the same predicament, and you can't go one way or the other. You're stuck in the middle. Scott from Pennsylvania, thanks for calling in, brother. Thanks for telling your story. Um, yeah, they, this, these things are only going to get start getting worse. I mean, the, the, especially once as we shift towards, like, you know, there's going to be a big debate in the very near future uh, about what they're going to do with healthcare. And I, I really don't think. I mean, I once we saw that Republicans GOP 
kind of really, you know, caved on really pursuing uh, dumping Obamacare. Uh, and just when they, when they started saying we want to, uh, you know, replace it, when they added in uh, replace, that was when I knew we were in trouble. And I was like, they have no intention of getting things back to the way it used to be. They, they just don't. Yeah. Uh, and that was scary to me because then the rhetoric on the left kept up with how bad the healthcare situation was. Under their own system. Yeah. Under their own system. There was like, uh, Sarah was reading an article yesterday, I think it was from Vox, and uh, it was about how, um, uh, you know, ra- uh, uh, um, what was it, premiums were, were rising. Oh, yeah, premiums were rising like like super, like 200% or something like that. It, yeah, and and, the, and how they're framing it, they're framing it as in the system, this is kind of almost like it's the GOP's fault. Yeah. And, and when they say that, what they're saying is, you didn't let us go far enough. You didn't let us go far enough. And that's funny because that also goes along with your typical socialist argument. It's always, no, 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 no. Venezuela is not socialist. They just didn't go far enough. They didn't do it. They didn't go far enough. The Soviet Union, you know, the reason it fell is because they didn't go far enough. That's always their 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 thing. So it's 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 not a uh, it's not surprising when people that are advocating socialist programs like single payer health care are always their excuse is always well it's not working because we just didn't go far enough. Well, we didn't get you know we didn't get it's not big enough. We need more you know more control. Right. We know what we're doing. Oh, more control is exactly what it's all about. Which is one of the reasons why I hated the book Control by Glenn Beck. <laughs> it's <an> eye opening. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I, that, that's that's what that's what this is all about. That, that, that's what this is all about. And once we go, uh, you know, I would say maybe not, uh, maybe beyond 2020. And let's let's say I don't know. I, I think that there's there's a very real possibility that Democrats take the House. I don't think they're going to take the Senate, but I think there's a very real possibility that they take the House. Um, but if that happens, be, let's not even talk about impeachment and all that stuff because they probably definitely will try that. For sure they will. But it'll get shut down. They have to try it. They'll, they'll, they'll try it. They have to try it. But it'll, it'll get shut down. But yes. then, depending on, but whatever happens, let's say they ha- they take the House and then they take, let's say they let's say they beat Donald Trump to, to be president. They're going to be very close to be, to attempt to mm. be able to pull off what they want to do. Now, I still, I still have serious doubts that they'll be able to do it. But, and it's funny, that's, I mean, to bring in a uh, topic from around the world, it's funny that, you know, the entire world doesn't understand the, what makes the United States tick. And I actually love this. This, this. this is a crack up to me because when there is a prime minister or whatever that's elected in, let's say, France or Germany or any of those other places, any, pick a country in Europe. They're like, oh, my gosh, like now all this stuff is going to happen. Like quite literally, if a leader in those countries is elected, something drastically different is about to happen. So when they get a leader in that they don't understand like Donald Trump and, and and when this, uh, and when he goes against everything that like, when he really pushes back against the old way, uh, they get extremely nervous because they're like, Oh my gosh, the entire world's going to explode. Here's a newsflash to them. Our framers built a government that was so inefficient. It would not be able to pull those things off because they did not like government. They were highly skeptical of government. They didn't want to. They they said, "Look, hey, the the purpose of this country is the people that are living in it, and what their their private business is more important than what happens in Washington D.C. It's the reason why they put Washington D.C. in a friggin' swamp. 
It's like, let's put it in the most, in the worst place possible in the country. That way, no one even really wants to go there. Let's just throw it in there. Let's just throw it over here. And then we'll have all the beautiful other places in the country where, you know, people really want to live and where, you know, all the important stuff goes on. It's like there's a there's a capital of the United States. It's in D.C. But, you know, and there's a, there's a capital of Germany, which is in Berlin. You know, there's a capital. There's Paris is the capital of France. And that's pretty much where most of the, you know, the stuff goes on. But there's multiple capitals. If you really think about it, there's multiple capitals in the United States. There is an oil capital in Houston. Uh, there is a breadbasket capital, you know, where, where all the food and stuff, you know, is, is created. There is, you know, San Jose is the capital of, of the tech world. There's multiple capitals in, in the United States. And it's all centered around business. That is the point. That is the point because those things are more important. Those things drive this country. D.C. shouldn't drive this country. Politics don't drive this country, and that's not—that's what everyone doesn't. That's what they're not getting. Um, we are, man. We are. Our, our phone lines are just like filling up. Um, we're going to come back to these phones uh, in probably like five minutes or so. So if you're holding on the phone, I apologize that I just went on another rant. Yeah, we see you. <clears throat> we see you up there. He's just ignoring you. Just hang on. Sip on your coffee a little bit longer, um, but we're going to get back to you. We're going to the show's coming up. We're going to get back to again. I keep saying we're going to get back to things that socialists will never tell yeah. you. That's you've proven it right. They keep saying we'll tell you what we're all about, and they just keep pushing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're proving you, the point. You've proven the exact point. Wow, I'm trolling myself, and I you didn't are. even know it. You absolutely are. We'll be right back. Jason Buttrell, at Jason Buttrell. He is Chris Cruz, the real Chris Cruz, at Real Chris Cruz on Twitter. I am. I Call am. in 888 We got one more hour together, so get them in. The phones are, like, ridiculously overloaded. Before you get to the phone calls, I'm reading up the names on the on our screen. And for a second there, I thought we had Melania. Melania? Yeah, like Melania Trump. Oh, has she I, called in? No, no, no. Uh, if you look at our numbers, <laughs> if you look line number five, and you just look at it, it looks like Melania Trump, but it's just Melanie from Texas. That would have been a crazy like. That's you what know, I'm saying. Last like morning blaze broadcast for me. She calls in, <laughs> Melania. If you want to call in, please. It's triple eight nine zero zero thirty three nine. Is she back in the states? Uh, I think she is. Right. I think her. I think her Africa tour is over. Okay. I thought. Mm. But anyway, but yeah. Well, so let's <laughs> let, let's pick the name that looks like Melania Trump. <laughs> Melanie in Texas. Thanks for calling in. Hey, guys. Um, I was just calling in because you're talking about frameworks, and I will tell you that there is a, a specific nonprofit called Frameworks that has been exploiting on the left side for years this formula of how to get people to act. And mm. they've been using it, and they've done research on it. It's called value, issue, action. So if you want somebody to act a certain way, first exploit and talk about the value that you have in common. Then talk about the specific issue. Then talk about the action that's needed. And they've been using it for years. And it's um, sad that we, as on the right, haven't used this 
formula yet to, to really get people to motivate on our side. They just don't know how to frame it. That's amazing. That's the, what you're describing was I was uh, in, I was an in intelligence uh, for the Department of Defense Marine Corps. And one of the ways they talk about how to cultivate a source and how to like, you know, like Jack Ryan mm-hmm. style, like how to turn people mm-hmm. and like use them as a source is exactly, Melanie, what you just described. They're like describing manipulation tactics used by intelligence services. That's insane. Oh, then that's exactly what they're doing. They've been doing it for years. I worked for a children's nonprofit and they were trying to, I was on the research side of it saying, oh, these programs don't really work. Um, but they were, they were trying to get people, specifically the government, to fund more of our programs. And the way that they did that was talk about the value. This is the issue we have. And here's the action. Now we vote this way. That was what they did. Wow. Um, and it's really sad that on the right, we just don't have anybody that's able to, you know, say those things and use those methods to get people to do what we need them to do. I'm not trying to manipulate, but I'm just saying state the facts, people. That's all we need to do. Right. What, what was their overall goal, Melanie? What were they trying to do? Well, I, well, I, was, um, I was working for a nonprofit for children, and so we were trying to get kids ready for kindergarten. Um, uh, but Frameworks, which is out of D.C., they're right down the street from um, the cap- – they're right down the street from the White House. Um, they had specifically been working on research for years to, sh- to prove how to motivate people um, to do any one thing. They were left-leaning, so they always wanted to motivate people to their social causes. Um, but they had figured out the key, quote-unquote, buzz terms and things and values that would get people to vote in the way that they wanted. And wow. specifically young people, that is the formula that works the best. Talk about the value that they share, that mm. they really, really should worry about. And, then, and specifically, they, they really preyed on their fears, and I, th- I think they still do. But talk about their value, then talk about the issue that is at hand, and then tell them this is how you act to fix that issue. And it works. And the, and the left has used it. Specifically, this think tank has been using this method, I know, for at least 15 years. But they did the research to, on every sort of social topic they could to get people to vote, even I mean, gun control, you talk about, you know, children's issues, health care, whatever it was, but that's what they had done was the research to see, okay, what's the value we need to push on to get people to talk about this issue and act in this way. Wow. And if we did that on the right, we would be so much more effective. Wow. That's crazy. Melanie, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's, uh, you know, that's exactly, it's, it's, it's kind of chilling for me to hear that her describe that because it's exactly how they teach intelligence professionals to turn people and manipulate them. And what, what she's saying is like, it's happening as early as kindergarten. I mean, it's happening as early as kindergarten. And I, we've, we've talked here a lot at the blaze about how, uh, you know, our, our university system has been infiltrated really since the turn of the century around 1900. And there was this uh, Woodrow Wilson quote where he was like, I don't remember it word for word, but he was saying how the purpose of a university is to make the child, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing and you know, ad-libbing this, this is not a direct quote, but the purpose of a university is to make the child the most unlike their parents as they can. So in other words, all like the things that you grow up believing, everything your parents taught you, the culture, everything, the purpose of the university is to get that out of you and mold you in a way that how they think. And that was exasperated. I can't, I just, I can't, I can't stop bashing 
our education system and our university system. I just can't. I I just can't stop doing it. And I, I've I've actually said before that I'm I'm really debating on not sending my my uh, kids to a traditional university anymore because I don't want them. I don't want them indoctrinated. I, I just don't. If you you look at the uh, you know the statistics of how many conservative professors there are versus how many liberal professors there were, and again this started. I mean it's it's drastically on the side of the liberal professors. I mean drastically, as in hardly any conservative representation whatsoever. So we're spending thousands and thousands of dollars to these universities so they can indoctrinate our children on leftist principles. Started at the turn of the century, nineteen hundred. It got worse after World War II when groups like uh, men from the Frankfurt School. Uh, these Marxists came over to the United States and set their, you know, their their roots down at Columbia University, and they began t- uh, spouting this junk out, and then it spread like a plague from there to every other university in the country. So now we have these people like they they, they grew up in the '60s learning from from these Marxists. Uh, they're now professors. That uh, they became professors, and they're now teaching a whole new crop of uh, professors. And they're still pushing this ideology. And this ideology, in a nutshell, is is that Karl Marx was right. The only problem is he didn't go far enough. Again, they didn't do enough. We just we just said that they didn't go far enough. So what they have to do is is to instead of you know talking about how there's going to be this mass worker uprising to overthrow capitalism, they're first concentrating on the culture. So they're thinking if, we, if they can rewrite the words and they can make everything into a, hey, you know, minorities, you are being oppressed, you know, by the Western society and capitalism. You're being oppressed. Uh, you're being oppressed by the white people or, you know, the, uh, you know, the LGBT uh, movement. You know, you guys are being oppressed. Women, you, you are being oppressed. And like none of that is true. Like you, you cannot legally, you know, pay women more, uh, pay men more than women. You can't do that. You know, it, these for the facts don't line up, but the facts don't matter as long as you can make people think that that uh, they're true, make people think they're being oppressed. Then you'll do anything. You'll do absolutely anything to rise up against the system, because if you feel like you're being oppressed, you're going to fight. That's what they want. They want to fight. Did you know? Here's another quick fact of this. Did you know, like climate control is I, oh, you know, I think I have this article pulled up. I do from the Washington Post. This was a couple of days ago. Did you see this, Chris? So this is hilarious, but it's not meant to be hilarious. So the Washington Post uh, just did this article, and listen to this. Listen, to, I'm just going to read the title, and then I'm going to and then maybe like the first line. But this is the title: "The World." Again, hang on. This is from the Washington Post. Okay, the world has just over a decade to get climate control or get climate change under control. You and scientists say. Dun dun dun. Bum! Just over a decade. And it's over, folks. That's it. Listen, this is the first line, and then we'll stop. The world stands on the brink of failure. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, hold up. The world stands on the brink of failure when it comes to holding global warming to moderate levels. And nations will need to take unprecedented actions to cut their carbon emissions. Blah, 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 blah. Are you kidding me? So you are you kidding me? So as they're making it sound like the world's about to explode. Yes. And if you are, if you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, impressionable, or you know, if you're a catastrophist or something like that, you're like, oh my god, we're gonna die! Like the movie Armageddon's about to happen for reals, yo. That's and you're gonna want to fight. But let me. But this goes into what I was just saying. Do you know who first started this whole environmentalism thing that we're killing the planet? Al Gore. No. 
man. He's just the one that made it a whole lot more famous. I, th- I thought I was going to get But that. the, the people that started this, no. <laughs> the people that started this was Dwayne The Rock. No, not him. The people that started this. <laughs> you got me. Hold on, hold on. Go back, go back. I was like, really? <laughs> Chris's eyes got huge. That was I, awesome. They did. I'm like, really, Dwayne? That's my boy. No, 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 no. The people that started this, the, the people that I was just telling you about, the, the Marxists that came over from Germany in the Frankfurt School, they were the first ones that said, look, if we can get a mass society to say to think that capitalism is destroying the environment, that's when environmentalism was born. To make people think that capitalism was destroying the planet. That was the entire point. Now, it didn't matter if it was true or not. They didn't care. They just wanted to make people think that. So nowadays, that has evolved to this entire climate change change fiasco that it is today, where you can get an article in the Washington friggin' Post to make it sound like it's one of those crazy movie trailers, you know, where the guy's got like a deep voice and making it sound like the world's about to end. Just absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Um, I'm going to move on really quick to a couple more things that uh, uh, socialists will not tell you. Oh, but, yeah, we never finished. But but finishing this actually leads right into Around the World. So it actually make, it actually works out for us. Um, I, I, we're going to go right back to Venezuela because they will not tell you about Venezuela and they will not link Venezuela to socialism. In fact, they're trying mm-hmm. their dangdest to make it seem like Venezuela is not socialism. But the IMF just reported yesterday, just yesterday, that Venezuela's inflation rate in 2019 will reach 10 million percent. I don't think that's possible. 10 million percent. That's like a Dr. Evil like quote out there. That's what I'm saying. I want 10, 10 million. million. <laughs> <laughs> 10 million percent. Is that even possible? Like, It doesn't do you, sound possible. It doesn't. It doesn't sound possible. I heard about 100 percent. He's 10 million percent. Check this out, right? So we've all heard about how the migrant crisis in uh, Syria, uh, in the Middle East, North Africa, all that, has exasperated uh, Europe, how they're mm-hmm. all flooding in. We, we've seen, it's, it's been constant news coverage. We've seen the videos, tragic videos. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen everything. People have done multiple exposés on it. It's, you can't, it's hard to find the news cycle without that story somewhere in there. You can't hide it anymore. It, no, it's, it's, since 2011, okay, since 2011, since the Arab Spring, around 5 million migrants have fled those areas, those conflict areas. Wow. So that's since 2011. So we're, we're talking seven, in seven years, 5 million migrants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a crap load of people. Yes, 5 million. That's yeah. a lot. So, okay, but, so that's a, but that's a war zone mo- yeah. breaking out. That's multiple war zones, yeah. multiple countries. So, okay, so check this out. Since 2014, so this is, that's just been four years, mm-hmm. just four years versus mm-hmm. seven, more than two million people wow. have fled Venezuela. So it is a migrant crisis on the level of the Arab Spring crisis kicking off this crazy mass media, you know, but with, for good reason. Like, it's bad. But no one is talking about the migrant crisis in mm. South America. Yeah. And what is the reason that kicked this off? It wasn't the Arab Spring. It wasn't a, you know, a, you know, it wasn't jihadists, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, like ISIS, all this stuff. It was a socialist government in Venezuela. Mm. Socialism has created one of the largest migrant crises, crises in the world. And no one will talk about it. But it's happening in South America. This 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 is probably one of the biggest things that social that socialists will not tell you, and that's probably a good way to wrap up that part. And then 
Really? You know where? You know where? Where should we go? Should we go? Ooh, China. Around the world. Around the world. Next. Welcome back to the Morning Blaze. I am Jason Butchel at Jason Butchel. Chris Cruz is with me at Real Chris Cruz. Emerald yes, Dallin is triple eight nine zero zero three 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 nine three. If you want to yell at us, uh, this <laughs> is for my last broadcast of the Morning Blaze. It's a sad moment, but I, I think I went out with a bang with the, uh, you with did. the Glenn monologue. You did, dude. Your monologue has been a three-hour monologue. <laughs> like we've not even scratched the surface on your monologue. I don't think you can call this a monologue. Nah, this is a show log. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're just about to go around the world, but I'm, yes. I'm thinking, you know, we just talked about Venezuela and, uh, I mean, what was that? What was that fact that you just read? Me oh about the, yes. About the, the nutrition. The, which is just, I mean, it, this the is average body weight. I mean, the average losing weight of a Venezuelan right now is 28 pounds. What, They're losing 28 pounds. Oh my gosh. I mean, that is crazy. And I, it's 90%, uh, the population is 90% poverty in, in the poverty zone. That's just insane. I mean, it, it, well, it, if you have inflation about to go to ten million percent, ten million. I think they also ate all the zoo animals. I saw there was there was one video that I saw where they were like they were chasing down cows yes. and trying to stone them to death because they didn't have food. I mean, it's, it's absolutely horrific. Um, but it reminds me. Um, Does we, it? it reminds me we we have uh, the pleasure of talking about brick house nutrition. Um, we've been talking for some time uh, about Dawn to Dusk from Brookhouse Nutrition, and we need to turn you on to one of their other products because it is fantastic. It's called Field of Greens, and it has rapidly become their bestseller. Now, this is not a supplement you know, or just one vegetable. This is real food. It's in a powdered form, plus it's 100% organic. Every scoop gives you a full serving of fruits and vegetables. It's prebiotic, probiotic, it boosts immunity, has antioxidant power, and it's not an extract. This is real food, folks. Now, I was talking to the sales rep here at The Blaze, and he told me about how his entire family got sick this past winter and, and thought it would get him, uh, you know, it'd get him a little bit. He never got sick as the rest of the family, and he bounced back faster. This is a true story. Uh, just put one scoop in eight ounces of water or your favorite drink, and you're done. It's that easy, and it tastes great. And most of us don't have time, you know, to watch everything we eat all the time. You know, this is a fast, simple, and effective way to improve your health. Yeah, more energy and feel better. I mean, this is this is the things that really help us out. We don't doing radio like this, especially this early in the morning, and then and I have to leave here immediately and start writing for Glenn. Um, it's just fast paced, but I never have time to eat. I could be eating Cheetos or whatever and getting fatter, Ooh, or I could take advantage of Brookhouse Nutrition and from dawn to dusk. Uh, it's, it's 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 helped us out immensely. Um, I want you to just go to BrickHouseDoc.com. Uh, Try Field of Greens today and get a 10% off a month's supply. Get that with the offer code DOC. That's D-O-C. So BrickHouseDoc.com. That's BrickHouseDoc.com. And check them out. You won't regret it. So I want to move back around the world, over to Around the World. With Jason um, So we're going to stay in South America really quick. Oh, I thought we moving. Um, I thought we spin the globe when we moved on. Well, I did, but it just stayed it just in landed. South America. Dude, this Can you globe, imagine that? This I, globe is out of control. It's out of control. <laughs> we can't even control our super globe. It's out of control. Okay. But it's fortuitous for us because okay. there are some crazy things going on in Brazil. So Brazil has oh. a Brazilian Donald Trump. Yeah. Now, this is not something I'm saying. This oh. is something that Brazil is calling him. They're calling Ooh. him the Brazilian Donald Trump. Now, he is a... 
uh, pretty far into the right candidate over there. They, uh, t- Brazil has been uh, very leftist f- uh, for a while. And uh, quite frankly, the people are pissed off. And they are tired of, you know, um, you know, the government saying certain things, doing certain things, nothing ever getting done. They're tired of massive uh, corruption. They're tired of crime. And they're tired of uh, basically uh, people on the right just being a little bit too nice. A little bit too nice. Oof. Does that sound familiar? That does sound familiar. Uh, absolutely. I think that's the plot point of Donald Drains the Swamp. Coming up soon. Coming up soon. That's what I'm saying. Like, as you're reading that, I'm like, did you read the book too? Because this is actually what Eric's going to join us to talk about. This is so fascinating. So the Brazilian Donald Trump's name, his, his name is Bolsonaro. And uh, Ooh, I, like I, want you to, I want you to remember that name going forward. And I'll tell you why this story is important. Just to just kind of keep in the back of your, uh, your, your wheelhouse, your brain boxes uh, for later. But Bolsonaro is, yeah, he's, he's on the, he's on the, he's on the, he's on the side of the right. He, um, he, he's, he definitely, you know, some quotes from him. Uh, it was one of his quotes is, I don't try and please everybody. Um, you know, he's, he's very, he's very, you can tell he's modeled himself after our president. Yeah. And he's used that, that success. Um, some of the things he said that are a little fringe. Um, like what? He, he said, Give an example. Said he's, he'd read, this is a quote, he'd rather have a dead son over a gay son. Yeah. Um, but so, but the reason he's been saying this is because like he's railed against like uh, sex education classes. Okay. And a lot of people in Brazil have said that the sex education classes are trying to indoctrinate kids more into homosexuality. Yes, and kind of questioning their own mm. sexuality. Well, I'll say this: I don't think that way, and I don't think Jason, you think that way. But no. I believe the reason why he say that is because people down there, some of them think that way. And are scared to say it. Just like Donald Trump says some things that were like, oh my gosh, yeah. did he just say that? Well, it's because you were thinking it. Yeah. And you did not know like, oh my gosh, can can a politician say that for reals? Yeah. So he, I think he's trying to be a little sensational because probably the people around him are like, hey, this is what people are saying around. Why don't you go say it? Yeah. So that's... And- that's that's really interesting. And it's also a response to like the left has weaponized the LGBT movement on, on this end. I just got finished ranting on how, you know, that where that originally came from, cultural Marxism. And that's being mimicked all over the world. And this is where I kind of think the meta uh, big concept thing on this is that these policies are being mimicked all over the world for both sides of the political spectrum to gain power. And Brazil is seeing this in the same way that we were seeing this. And they're pushing back on it. So so more conservatives, more evangelicals within Brazil are saying, look, we don't care some of the things he said. Yeah, we probably don't agree with a lot of things. Again, you can see the, the, it's you the can same argument. Yes, you can it's see the same discussion. And he is a uh, Catholic, right? So he's a far-right Catholic. So I, I was reading it, yes, and I think that's what I like, uh, took from, from the articles that you sent me. It's either, he's, either, he's either Catholic or Pentecostal. Okay. Now I don't remember. Because I remember the Pentecostal... Uh, the Pente- Pentecostals are getting a lot more power in Brazil right mm. now, um, but so he's either one of the two. Mm. But he, regardless of whether he's a, he, he mm-hmm. is, he's he's definitely echoing a lot some mm-hmm. of the rhetoric from the Pentecostal mm-hmm. you know movement there. But um, but yeah, he's he's definitely he's he's one of those like he I, I saw one interview he did when he was younger mm-hmm. when he was talking about how bad crime was, and so he went off on this crazy rant about how he would just basically kill like he said like three hundred wow. people were murdered like in his town. Uh, and he said that he goes, it's because the left-leaning government needs to kill 30,000 criminals. 
Mm-hmm. And he was serious. And he was talking about doing like a coup and stuff like that. He was saying this on like a national uh, news show. He's serious. So this is like the language that you would hear from like a Duterte in, in uh, the Philippines. And so anyway, so they uh, – the Siri is going off. That was kind of crazy. Um, how did he get – like anyway. Siri Duarte. She's a crazy chick sometimes. <laughs> um, so like – so it's – you know, it's, 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 these, uh, it's these, these radical left movements – that are the the cause or the, the the effect they're having is they're pushing the right too far to the right. Yes. So some of these yes. candidates, right, like probably wouldn't have flown, and and a lot of conservatives wouldn't even have voted for them. But they no. see no choice. No, they, they, you you force their hand to become the stereotypical you know conservative that the left think who they are. Right. Right. And it's very interesting to see that. And then to another point that you were talking about this is I feel that. Elections from now on are going to get more and more like this because you're going to have that, you know, that think tank group and saying, okay, well, this is what people are thinking. We need to start being like truthful and saying what they're saying. And that could cause a lot of problems because look at, look what's happening in Orlando, Orlando, Oregon. Yeah. Antifa is conducting traffic. Yeah. Like, who are you? They're like Oregon and like Washington, like are state. crazy. Yeah, Washington yeah. State yeah. are like crazy. They're like yeah. battlegrounds. It's like you have entire cities that look like Berkeley at times. And what's crazy is, and again, like what we were just saying, like the the radical left is causing the the rise of of the far right because it didn't really exist before. Mm-hmm. It really didn't. And these like Antifa groups, they're out there like going crazy. And you have groups like Patriot Prayer, or like Gavin McGinnis's, like Pride Boys. They didn't even exist before. Now they exist. They they felt they had to rise up, and now they're fighting back because they feel like yeah, no one else that, is doing and, it, and, and no one's saying, speaking for yeah, them. Yeah, and that's very scary when you say, "Oh, I want to fight back." They punch us, you punch back. I'm like, "Whoa, do we really want to go there? Do you really want to go there? Yeah. I don't want to go there." No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> it's it, it's it's escalated the situation. Yes, yeah, it goes like we talked about on Monday: the escalation of force. Do you really do we have to go to deadly force? No, no. But I mean, again, like these things didn't exist. Now they exist, and now they're framing it as if the right started it. It's, it's infuriating. We'll be right back. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Morning Blaze. I am Jason Butchel. We are traveling around the world. Number to call in, 888-900-3393 if you want. You can tweet at us, at Jason Butchel or at Real Chris Cruz. And Real Chris Cruz, how are those tweets going? I got one from Savit Private Ryan saying, coming soon to Venezuela, $10 million tree. <laughs> you know, that, that would destroy my wife. I think, I think the, her favorite place to shop is Dollar Tree. Is it? You know, what's kind of weird is you can actually do all of your grocery shopping now at like 99 cent store. Mm. So like before, I remember the, those were kind of like the joke stores mm-hmm. where they just had like nobody trinkets and stuff. Yeah, nobody no. went there. Nobody but, went there. But now you go in and it's like Walmart. Yeah. Like you, you And then now you have the Five Below. Yeah. Then you have Five Below's dope. Uh yeah. you got Family uh was it uh you got Dollar General? Is that is that one? Yeah, that's another, yeah, yeah. 
you got Dollar Tree, you got the 99 cent store, then you got, a, there's another one, that's, I always see it in Florida, but they're popping everywhere. Yeah. And coming to uh, Venezuela st- uh, Street near you, the $10 yeah, million the dollar $10 store. Million. Are you going to spin the globe? <laughs> Are you going to spin the globe? Uh, no, because I think yes, the hotline supp- bling is like to say, You're supposed to say yes, you spin it, land it in New York. <laughs> That's where Eric Metasis coming is. from. Yeah, yeah, I just spun it. La- what do you know? It landed on New York. There it is. <laughs> Around the world. Our next guest uh, is a number one national best-selling author. He's a nationally syndicated conservative uh, and radio show host. He's a humorist. He's got a new book out called Donald Drains the Swamp. He is Eric Metaxas superstar. Eric, thanks for, sh- for uh, joining us this morning. Well, it is my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Eric, I, I'm, I was looking at your book, and I was like, is this inspired from the Flintstones? Because I'm getting the vibe here. Well, not really. <laughs> it's interesting, because a lot of people uh, say stuff like that, because when you think of caveman, cartoon caveman, you think of the Flintstones. But there have been a lot of others. Years ago, there was Ali Oop, who was yeah. huge. And, uh, in fact, the book is dedicated to Ali Oop, mm. the... Uh, the original, adorable, deplorable. No kidding. You know, cavemen, <laughs> cavemen are kind of, you know, deplorable, and the book is a little bit about deplorables. And, you know, it's, it, the, the funny thing is I wrote the book, and I cannot figure out what it is. Like, I know it's funny, <laughs> and I know it's – but I, I really think that it's a, it's a children's book – for adults, let me put it that way. Is, right? is, it, is it similar to like you know one of those like Pixar movies where adults can you know laugh along with it, but you can oh, also that, take I mean, kids? listen, there's there's no question that I wrote this for adults. This is a book for adults. It's a humor book for adults, but it's in the, the guise of a kids book. I've written thirty children's books. I worked for Veggie Tales, and the thing is that I think because it's so sweet. People will use it as a children's book. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? No, it's not nasty political humor. It's meant to be funny. Adults will get the joke that the, you know, the big villain is the George Osaurus. It's a, it's a monster <laughs> named the George Osaurus. Love it. It's a coincidence that it sounds like a Hungarian billionaire. It's a coincidence, I just want to tell you. But it's, it's, it's basically a fable. And it's really, I, I wrote it because I feel that we need to be able to laugh and have a good time. Those of us who support this president need to be able to celebrate what he's doing. He's draining the swamp. And, you know, people, all we hear is the negativity with Trump. And I said, this needs to be something that celebrates who he is. So he's a caveman named Donald. And, you know, in a way, he's a bit of a caveman. Uh, But everybody (laughs) in the book is a caveman. So it's not not such a, a commentary on him. But the point is that at the end of the book, and this is serious, this is crazy stuff, he does something that you guys probably know George Washington did in 1783. He turns down all the power in the world to be the king of yeah. America. George Washington says, no, yep. we are a free people. We fought for liberty. And he says, I don't want to be the king. Uh, and it's an amazing moment. And in the book, Donald it, they say to him, look, you know, you drained the swamp. You got rid of all the swamp creatures. Why don't you be our next king? And he says, no, you're a free people now. A king tells people what to do, and they have to do it. But a free people tells their leaders what to do, and the leaders have to do it. And they say, oh, you mean like a, like a, a president? And he goes, yeah. He goes, if that's what you're looking for, I'm your caveman. So I'm your caveman uh, is kind of... Uh, it's become, it's become my motto, he's my caveman. It's the ant- antidote to not my president. He's my caveman. Mm-hmm. 
there's something about him. He's a caveman. He's lovable. So it's really, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of jokes in the book for adults, but obviously, I think people are going to read it to their kids. Eric, you're almost committing. It seems like you're almost committing the cardinal sin here uh, with uh, actually injecting comedy here to this like crazy political environment. And I, and you're and you're hilarious. I, do you see this as like a? I mean, it's it's a hard time to to actually be funny. You know, not, for me. not to not to mention even write a book that's funny, but yeah. also not tear someone down in the process. Like this does well, not happen that, anymore. That's exactly that's exactly right. This is a book that is not nasty. It's a, it's a humor book, but it's you know it's for people that either let me put it this way, people that love Trump or people who at least have a stinking sense of humor at this time yeah. because this the sourness of, and the bitterness of the left is going to destroy America. We can't let that happen. So I said, we need a book that's funny, that helps us to celebrate, and helps me to say, he's my caveman, and he's doing great things. He's draining the swamp. And you, you realize it's a bipartisan swamp. Uh, people listening are probably wondering, they're probably confused. Can I, can I tell the plot in 30 seconds? Can I try? Yeah, go for it. Okay. It starts, basically, uh, there's, there's all these people, they're, they're cave people, and they know that their leader, their king, is out of touch with them, okay? Parentheses, bloated government, uh, out of touch bureaucracy. So their king never talks to them. He only he lives in the middle of a swamp, and he only talks to the swamp creatures. He never talks to the people outside the swamp. Middle so America, what, pretty what much. What are we going to do? Exactly. What, what are we going to do? So there's, there's a caveman who lives among them. He's kind of famous. He's a builder of caves. Everybody wants a cave built by Donald, the caveman. <laughs> and they go to Donald, and they say, Donald, can you, can you help us? Like, you, you, you know more than we do about the way the world works. What do we do? How do we, how do we speak to our king? He's in the middle of the swamp, and he says, oh, let, let me see what I can do. So he goes the next day. He travels down to the swamp, to the edge of the swamp, and he meets the first swamp creature. It's a Labiosaurus. And the Labiosaurus <laughs> tells him, you know, listen, you don't understand. You can't talk to the king. The king only talks to people who live in the swamp. So if you don't live in the swamp, he's not interested in you. So basically, Donald says, look, I don't want to live in the swamp. I'll tell you that right now. So he goes back. He tells people, it's bad. We're going to have to get drastic. They say, what do you mean? What do you mean? He says, well, we're going to have to drain the swamp. And some people, of course, say, hey, you can't say that. that that's terrible. That's, that's, uh, you're you're going to get the swamp creatures angry. And he says, well, you're angry, aren't you? They go, yeah. And he goes, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's their turn. So the next day he takes a shovel by himself, and he's, he, oh, first of all, he tells them how he's going to do it. They say, you can't drain the swamp. He goes, yeah, it's, it's simple. I'm a builder. I, I know how to do this stuff. It, it's simple. We're going to build, we're going to dig a trench. It's going to be the biggest, best <laughs> trench you've ever seen. And the Mexicans are going to pay for it. No, that's not in the book. I made that up. So... So he says he's going to dig a trench. So he goes down on the thing, and, and he sees the swamp creatures are furious. And then he notices that the swamp, the green color of the swamp, is not a normal green swamp color. It looks like money. And then he realizes the entire swamp is made of money, and he uh. knows why all the swamp creatures don't want to leave the swamp. So he starts digging the trench, and the biggest, baddest swamp creature of all comes out of the weeds and it is the george osaurus <laughs> and and he you know it's really scary but the, the all the swamp people say hey you've made the george osaurus angry you're going to get it now and then donald turns around and all the people all the k people have showed up with shovels and they say well not as angry as we are and they all start chanting drain the swamp drain the swamp so they dig the trench and the water with the money flows to the horizon drains the swamp. Of course, every swamp creature, including the king and the Georgiosaurus, 
chase the money, follow the money. So they go to the horizon, never to be seen again. And, of course, the swamp is drained, flowers bloom, trees grow. And they say, but the problem is we wanted to speak to the king, and he's gone. Maybe Donald will be our next king. And that's when Donald says, I'm not going to be your king. You're a free people now. You are going to, you're going to govern yourselves. And they say, okay, and then uh, what about would you be our president? He goes, well, if, you, if you're looking for a president, I'm your caveman. So, so that's it. So the, we're making up these political buttons that say he's my caveman. And uh, at the launch party here in New York, uh, we're, you guys are not in New York, are you? If you are, you've got to come to the launch party. I can't tell you. Oh, I, I so wish be, we were. Yeah, we're I in Dallas. the address. Well, I got to say, we're printing up these buttons that say he's my caveman, because I really think that ought to be the cry of our side. He's my caveman. You know, you want to say not my president, good for you. We're going to say he's my caveman. I think we we really do need to celebrate, to be lighthearted. And it's not a mean political book. When you look at the pictures and everything, it's meant to be fun and lighthearted. And it's meant to teach us and our kids about what is American-style liberty. We don't have a king. We govern ourselves. Uh, And that's why when it says we the people, we are the government. There's not some distant government that we can't get in touch with that's out of touch with us. So there's a lot to it. It's really a fable. And um, I, I think that, you know, because it's funny, I hope it will help us during this difficult, yes. sour time not to take everything so seriously and to know that, you know, great things are happening. Eric, it's refreshing to see this uh, this this take. And it's like it's 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 refreshing just to see, the, you know, we haven't lost the ability to laugh, no. uh, you know, and politics is, is actually should be funny. I mean, it's it's very ridiculous at times. Um, well, I mean, but, listen, we well, I'll tell you what's hilarious Donald Trump is the president of the United States, despite everything, despite (laughs) the Republican establishment and the media and everybody going all in to destroy him, despite the deep state trying to destroy him before and after the election, he's the president. And this, to me, proves that we in America, we the people, are still in charge of our destiny. It's not too late. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the the uh, gov- the uh, governor of the universe has given us a reprieve, and we can continue to govern ourselves. We have to fight. We've got to fight hard. But if we don't maintain, maintain our sense of joy and humor mm-hmm. in the middle of it, you know, then then we have. Uh, we have basically been taken over by the zeitgeist of, you know, angry, bitter sourness. I think most Americans are not there. Most Americans want to celebrate what's going on. And I thought, you know, they, they need a way to do that. So this is part of my effort. Eric, do you think that uh, you talked about this, how everyone's come out, you know, really, you know, full fledged against Trump and, you know, all the all, this, the, all the unfair media attacks on him. And, and then we move forward towards, you know, it culminated, really culminated with Kavanaugh. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, the left really overstepped here. And they think that that's uh, what I'm saying. So do you so do you do you, you, know, do you, you know think that they're going to take a hit when we start going towards I, November? I think. Well, first of all, I'm going to say to everybody listening, don't you dare not vote. Yeah. And by the way, not only voting, okay, but make sure everyone you know votes because if yeah. we do not fight, you're not you're not being asked to pick up a rifle. You're not being asked to take a bullet, which many in our past have been asked to do for liberty. You are being asked to vote and to get everyone you know to vote. And if you don't vote. Shame on you when everything falls apart and you have, you know, Don Lemon losing his mind on TV every single night. You can't complain. We We have to vote. We have to get everybody to vote. This is a battle. This is a battle for liberty. It's like, we, you know, we don't get past that. We always have to fight for liberty. You know, we had an existential crisis in 1776. 
people died. We had an existential crisis in 1860, people died. This is an existential crisis for liberty. This is a fragile, glorious form of government that the world has never known. And if you don't fight for it, you lose it. That's the way it is. I mean, I wrote a, a book for adults called If You Can Keep It, which is like the adult version of this book. And, and If You Can Keep It, I talk about Franklin said it, you know, when he walked out of the Constitutional Convention, he said, we've got a, a republic if you can keep it, meaning that you, the people, we, the people, must fight, must work. Otherwise, somebody will rule over you. If you want a bureaucratic socialist state to rule over you, do nothing, stay home, pay 80% taxes, and, you know, and, and there you are. But we're Americans. We don't want that. And I really just believe that we have to be called to fight, called to the battle. Otherwise, we're going to lose everything. You can see that. It's happening. Trump is, uh, is an extreme opportunity that, that, that we have been given to, to keep what we have. I mean, just imagine if Hillary Clinton were president of the United States. I mean, yeah. I can't even imagine it, but we should try because, it, it, we, you know, Unless we fight, unless we vote, that's what we're going to get. I'm so happy about this book. I think I have all your books. But I want to read a comment by our, our audience that are listening right now. Uh, Hams tweets out and says, Eric doesn't realize, but he just gave me the perfect book that helps, that will help my kids understand better what they see on the news. Mm. Wow. That, wow. That, you know what? I want to I put that blurb on the, uh, on the book. That sounds beautiful. Because yeah. seriously, that's my hope. What, 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 that, what that person just said is my hope because we need to teach our kids something and it, and but it's a beautiful happy truth we don't have to, you have to descend into the bitter sourness the left is so bitter bitterness should have nothing to do with us we have hope when i think of ronald reagan he had a great sense of humor and he was the happy warrior we should be happy warriors we're fighting for something beautiful and true we're not just fighting for our side we're fighting for everybody by the way including the liberals they don't know it but when when, right. when we fight for liberty they get liberty to scream in the streets and act like children so you know i have to say that uh, that's that's wonderful i maybe you can email me that beautiful quote and i will use it oh we'll do um, Eric, it's, uh, his new book is Donald Drains the Swamp. It's a, it's an easy read. It's a quick read. You really need to go out and get this. It's about 50 pages, so you can you can get through this uh, pretty quick, and it, it's it's hilarious. Um, is this book when is, is this book available now, Eric? It, well, it's available right now. It won't be mailed to you till you know in a few days uh, when it comes out officially. But I gotta say, uh, I am so excited about this, and I'm just so glad that uh, you're letting me you're letting me talk about this because as you can tell, it's a passion for me. I want the whole country to celebrate what we have and to teach our kids to celebrate it. So, you know, I'm really, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I hope, I hope everybody uh, gets a laugh out of it and, and learns something as well. We need to remind ourselves about what is true about who we are as Americans. And this is a fun way to do it. So thank you. Thank you, Eric. The pleasure was all ours. Again, the book is Donald Drains the Swamp. He is Eric McTaxis, superstar. Thank you, sir, for coming on. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Um, he's awesome. I love I, I him. Love Eric. He's, I, he's so great. Before I started working here, uh, I knew Eric, and I always loved his book. And I was able, I was honored to have his personal cell phone number and kind of had the conversation off the air about his books, about all the books he's written, and the guy, man. He gets it. He does, man, and he, he's he's totally right. We, we it, it is a battle, and it's it's crazy. All like you have corporations that are lined up. Uh, that are donating millions and millions of dollars towards this fight, and yeah. it, and it's typically always against your favor. Yeah, it's well, against- we just learned about it on Monday. Credo, uh, Credo Action, funded by Credo Mobile, has a campaign to 
uh, what's it? Impeach Kavanaugh. Yeah, that's insane. And then already, and then in like phone companies like Verizon, they, they did hundreds of millions. Yeah, to, towards well, they donate policies. to both sides, but what they don't know is they give a hundred billion dollars to this company, and then like two dollars right. to the NRA. Exactly. But <laughs> you know what company you do not get that with? What company? Patriot Mobile. Oh yeah, I have them. Patriot Mobile, and I know, yeah, you use them personally. Yeah, right. Patriot Mobile offers freedom for patriots. Uh, it's easy to switch, save, and support your conservative values. Um, they're donating money to your values, you know, you, your groups, the, the 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 groups and values and principles that you believe in. You get the same nationwide reliable service with unlimited talk and text for less money and with no hidden fees. And Patriot Mobile, this is what we're talking about, donates a portion of reveal to conservative causes that you are voting to protect. Bring your device or select one of the many Android or iPhone models starting at only $4 a month. Um, you need to make the switch. You need to make it today. You know, go to patriotmobile.com slash doc. That's patriotmobile.com slash doc. Or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. That's 1-800-272-8746. Again, patriotmobile.com slash doc or 1-800-A-PATRIOT. 1-800-272-8746. Okay, so... I don't, I can't believe our time is almost done, and I've barely gone around the world. Bare, I just I, I barely at all. Our globe is not functional this morning. So now I'm like I'm trying to like even I had so much stuff. You know I had this really awesome thing in the Palestinian mm-hmm. movement that I don't even think we're gonna get to. No. Um. I want no, to. No. There's still two more days. Would you like to come back for two more days? Maybe I could just slip in with. Uh, Would you like Jeffy's to come back? Be... Would you like to come back? You know, I can make that decision. The, the, you're, you're daring me, like Caleb dared, dared me to send that video. I don't think. To I don't think doc. you'll come back. Oh, I'll do it. Uh, I don't think you'll. I'm come doing back. it. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's uh, really quick. I'm, I'm going to do like a really quick update to the thing in Turkey. Uh, oh, I spun the globe, and hey, what do you know? It's landed in Turkey. Yeah, but let me tell you now. Um, we have to go on break. No, you're kidding me. Yeah, we have to go on break. No! We have to I'm go. I'm going to get this story in right when we come back, even if I have 10 seconds. You, we Fine, Chris. Have to go. go to break. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Morning Blaze, Jason Butchel. My time is dwindling, guys, and I'm not enough. I'm, I'm not going to make it around the world. Uh, it sucks. I, well, you know what? Let's. Can we get in a, maybe a tweet or? Yeah, two yeah, yeah. I got on? a tweet because this is a this guy is so true. Dynamite saying, "Why buy the book?" And he's speaking of Donald Drains the Swamp by Eric McTassis. Uh We just had a full line by line of the content, and I'll kid you not. As he was talking, I was like, "Oh, I remember he saying that." And I was reading. He was absolute good. Line by line. So I don't know if he was actually reading the book as he was doing the interview, but I was very impressed if he wasn't because he was going literally line by line. But you, but 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 for your question, I know it was just probably a joke, but yeah. But still, like you, you, you have, have to, to see the 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 illustrations are hilarious. Yes. By the way, there's McConnell's there. That's what I was say. There's a Mr. McConnell's there with glasses. Yes. And yeah. we all know who that is. The illustrations are dope in this thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm doing this really quick. Uh, spin, the globe, spin the globe. It didn't land on Turkey this time. It didn't. Uh. Well, I'm gonna do the like you know when you kick the golf ball with your foot. Oh. So okay. Now we got it. There it's back we go. On Turkey. Um. So uh, this is this is an update because this story gets crazier and crazier by the second. I I talked about this yesterday and around mm-hmm. the world. Um. So Turkey. Uh, so yesterday, in case you missed it, there was a uh, there was a journalist, a Saudi journalist that mm-hmm. was living in Turkey. 
And uh, he has been he had been against the Saudi government, written against Saudi government. Oof, you can't do that. And so he goes into the Saudi consulate to, I think, get a visa to go try to go back home or something. Uh-huh. And uh, he just disappears. Uh, so the uh, Saudis claim that Turkey that that he left the uh, consulate and then Turkey killed him. And yeah, the government killed him, which is a huge claim, obviously. And then Turkey was like, "Whoa, whoa, he never left the consulate." And we actually have um, evidence yeah. that the this like kill squad like landed in in uh, Turkey that in Istanbul that day and went to the consulate from Saudi Arabia and went to the consulate and that they must have killed him inside the Saudi consulate. So mission impossible. Basically, yeah. We just had so, a mission impossible in Turkey. That's what it, yeah, I mean that's what it sounds like. So so now Turkey has uh, has has said that they are going to go and search the consulate. Now, I don't know for what. So you can't do that. And oh, we'll, you can't. So as per UN agreement, you can't like even if you're the host nation and something mm-hmm. happens. So that's Saudi Land. Oh, territory. Yes, so yes. That's, that's actual Saudi yes, territory. Yes. So, like, Turkey couldn't just go into, as per the international laws, can't just go into the consulate unless they get the mission, like, head there of the consulate's permission to do so. Mm. I haven't heard that they've given that permission yet. So, I don't know if that's Turkey strong arming and trying to say, look, we are very serious about this yeah. allegation. We did not I don't kill know. them. But, so anyway, so, but this story even, even progresses further. I saw this right as I was about to walk in this morning that, um, that, uh, that, uh, that Turkey, <clears throat> excuse me, that Turkey is now saying that they have uh, they, they have evidence via like intercepted phone transmissions that I think we gave them, the United States gave them, oh, that no. the Saudis were talking about trying to lure him out to a place so they can get to- rid of him. Oh. And then the, Turkey is one-upping that and saying that they have a source that says this guy did go into the, the consulate. The, and that he was killed by this kill squad. There was also like a mortician that was there that dismembered his body, a la Quentin Tarantino style movie. Come on! And then dis- then got rid of the remains. I hate you for now. This now I have to follow crazy. up this story. Also, you got me with the China uh, spouse. Now this one, dude. This is like Pulp Fiction. Yes, this is like international Pulp Fiction. This is good. Well, not good, but this is good. This is insane. Yeah, this story is going to get a lot crazier as, as it goes on. I wait for the anyway. movie to come out. Listen to Glenn and Stu. They're coming up on the <laughs> national show. Coming up next. Seriously, I'm going to wait for the movie to come out. This better be a movie, a book, and a TV series. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Part of Generation Blaze. On the Blaze Radio Network. Knowledge is power. Tweet at us with the hashtag what I learned today. This is the Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson on the Blaze Radio Network.